All right, I think we're live. So welcome to Retired Japan TV, the show where we talk about personal finance, investing, retirement, and life in Japan, mainly life in Japan. Although today we've actually got someone who's in the finance world on. So this is Martin from Smart Money Asia. Uh, he's got a great site. He's got a good blog. And I'm really excited to get him on today to talk all things money in Japan. Hi, Martin. Fantastic. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Hi there. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. So what brought you to Japan? Okay. So I came here in 1997. Um, I was a student at Bradford University. They came around recruiting for the JET program. And um, yeah, it I went to, to be really well paid, didn't it? <laughs> it did. It was really well paid. Um, yeah, they were really convincing in their, their recruiting program. So I remember going for my interview at the Japanese embassy in London and you know, I was, I was a student. I still had long hair. I was wearing a suit that I'd bought at some flea market like the day before. But the one advantage I had is that I specifically asked to go to countryside Japan. And I don't think many people request that. So they were like, <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure, if you want to go to the countryside, we'll find somewhere for you. So that's wow. how I so came where, where did they put you? I was in Totori Prefecture, so oh. West Japan, next to Shimane. I think it's the least populous prefecture in Japan. I think Something it is. Something like that, yeah. Sand yeah. dunes so and was, uh, no people, right? <laughs> correct. So yeah, I was in a little town, a couple of thousand people. I was the first male jet. I think they'd had one female jet before me. So yeah, wow. it was yeah, an incredible experience. It was fun. <laughs> Totori, so that's where from... go on, I'm just gonna say Totori is where the sand dunes are, I think. It is, yeah. Yeah, I've always yeah, wanted to go there. I was it... actually on the other side. I was close to Yonago, which is closer to Shimane. But yeah, Totori sand dunes are really something if you haven't been. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'd like to go there. Yeah, it's on the list. Yeah, so how'd you go from jet to finance, basically? What's the path there? Yeah. Um, so I did two years on jet and I don't know, something clicked. I, you know, I felt pretty happy here. I thought, okay, I'd like to stay a little bit longer, but I'd like to go somewhere with some more people. <laughs> so I kind of gravitated towards Tokyo. I, I was an ALT. I, I was in Chiba for about six months. I did another couple of years in Saitama and yeah, it was kind of end of 2001. I was like, okay, I can't just be an ALT forever. I've got to, you know, I've got to do something else. So I had no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I basically just, you know, gave my notice, said, okay, I'm finishing my contract. And, you know, those days you went to the internet cafe. I'd get the Japan Times. I think it was Tuesdays, I want to say. They had the job ads. So you I didn't know remember. what you wanted to do, but you knew you wanted to stay in Japan. Correct. Uh -huh. And I was like, either I'm going to find something else or, you know, I'll have to leave if I don't because I won't have a visa. Mm -hmm. So I started applying for jobs. And um, yeah, it's funny looking back on it. So I got hired by a company called Sports Mondial. And they sold um, tickets and corporate hospitality for sporting events. 2002 was the World oh, Cup. World Cup. Oh, the right. Football World Cup in Japan. Good timing. So, um, 
you know, I did a few job interviews and, you know, nothing really happened. And I met these guys and they just kind of hired me on the spot. I was like, wow, I've got a job. It was amazing. And of course, I realized later that they were hiring anybody with a pulse um, who was willing to pick up the telephone and call people and sell corporate hospitality. So they had this deal where, you know, you had tickets for the game. There was an event before a nice meal and, you know, some guest speaker would come and talk to them. And then, you know, there was an event after the game too. So yeah, I was thrown into sales, basically telesales with, you know, no real experience. So there were a bunch of us in a room and I think we became kind of infamous just in the run up to that world cup. Cause we called everybody in Tokyo. <laughs> so any, any kind of business, um, yeah, we were calling and talking to them about the World Cup and pretty hot topic, pretty hot product to have to sell. So yeah, I did that for, I think it was probably the first half of 2002. World Cup was in the summer, I think. Mm -hmm. David Beckham. Um, yeah, yeah. Beckham, that was Beckham fever in Japan. <laughs> really? And um so yeah, that ended and like I say, we'd pestered everybody to buy tickets and, and you know, buy hospitality and we got noticed by a financial planning company. Oh. And it was like, oh, these guys are pretty good on the phone, right? They, you know, they don't give up, they keep calling. They um, might be free after the World Cup. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So a couple of us got hired by a financial planning company. And um, so our initial job there was making appointments for their advisors on the telephone. So, you know, we were doing telesales. Um, I don't know if people still do that now. It's, I think it's I a think job it's you online. have to be... It's the same business model. It's like get people yeah, right. into an interview with the, you know. Yeah, you have person. to be kind of young, brave and gung-ho to do it, I think. Um, so, yeah, that's how I got started. And I did that for a while. I actually... Um, I kind of run the, the administration for the office as well for a while. And then, you know, I was watching these people working as advisors and I was like, okay, maybe I can do that. But if I'm going to do it, step. I want to do it. Yeah. Right. If I, if I'm going to do it, I want to do it properly. And the UK chartered insurance Institute, um, does all of the UK, um, financial planning qualifications and you can take the exams in Japan, or at least you could in 2002. I don't know mm. if you still can. So mm -hmm. I first did, there was a, there was an international qualification, which was quite basic financial planning. Pretty, pretty much anyone could pass it with a little bit of study. But then I did at that time, it was called the UK financial planning certificate. That was three exams. That was you know, a bit more intense. Um, and I had to learn a lot about UK products that I've never recommended to anybody. Um, but right. it was a, it was a good grounding. So that's, that was the progression. I kind of, yeah, I just looked for a job, ended up in sales and, um, yeah, started off making appointments on the telephone. So do you remember the name of that basic international qualification you got? It's changed several oh. times. Oh, right. It okay. used to be called ICFA international certificate for financial advisors. Then they changed it at one point. It was something else i could find it okay. if you want to just, just wondering. Sorry. if you want to check it out I, i'm sure it still exists hmm. 
it's really interesting actually that all three of us came on the jet program mm. and yes. all three of us had completely different careers so i kind of yes. stayed in education and did a bunch of stuff uh, uh martin you went through the finance route uh and daniel yeah. went into computer Computing kind of programming program. stuff mm -hmm. but all from the yeah. same starting point <laughs> so it just yeah. goes to show so there is a lot of options for people or the were do you think it's the same now like i think for education I, it's slightly harder now mm. possibly i think conditions are slightly worse there's more competition mm. but you can still you know do okay in education i think you can yep um and i think tech probably i don't know you probably know better than me daniel but i think if you know you're gonna put in the work go to coding school um in fact i think you had a guest on here who learned how to code after she came to japan and and has made a career out of it so yeah i think there's opportunities there there's always opportunities in sales if like i say if you're young and you're not scared then um, yeah the phone apparently 80 percent of people uh, uh, refuse to do stuff on the phone in japan or something like they do they do um some people yeah they'll come in and they'll sit at the desk and they just won't do it can't do it so yeah i think there are still opportunities I don't so know if it's the same. You've got ones. that skill set. You're, st you're still okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, a lot of people went into the recruitment, headhunting industry. Same kind of skill set, you know, getting in touch with people, talking to people, interviewing. So, yeah, I think the opportunities still exist. So, are you still working for a financial planning company, or have you gone free? I am. So, you know, I am. So. The original company I worked for, um, it was an interesting time because back in the day, so 2002, if you were a foreigner, foreign resident living in Japan, there weren't a lot of options. So if you wanted to invest in Japan, you know, you had to talk to the guy at Nomura Securities. Mm. You know, you'd have to go and like meet them and have an interview and go through their sales process. And then they'd, you know, open you an account and probably sell you whatever fund did really well last year. <laughs> um, it just wasn't so easy. Right. So the company that I joined, you know, they probably only had at the time four or five kind of offshore products that were really, you know, they were made for expats um well just made for people living outside of their own their own country mainly focused on british expats but not limited to them but that company which was a small a small advisory that had you know that was a startup really successful some really good salespeople there and just as i joined they merged with a bigger organization um so we kind of joined in with this company that was big in dubai hong kong indonesia Bangkok. So it was a pretty, it was a bigger organization and it had a much more kind of a professional career focus. So they were moving away from the kind of sell a product and get an initial commission and then find somebody else model to building your own advisory business. So building an assets under management business where you know, you get a client, and you look after them and you keep them and you keep looking after them and you earn, you know, 1% per year or half a percent per year um, for doing a good job rather than just 
sell the product next person. So right. the market was just changing as I joined, which was great because I got a lot of really good training. They had, you know, a lot of experienced advisors there. And um, yeah, like I say, it was, I don't think there was, there weren't so many options for foreign residents in Japan who wanted to invest or it was more difficult. Mm, whereas now <laughs> totally changed the wonderland isn't it <laughs> yeah it's amazing isn't it how much things can change in i guess it has been a long time though um yeah we're talking 20 years ago yeah so yeah, I, I first got into this and in like i started thinking about money in like 2009 <laughs> okay so by the time i got to the investing part you know opening broker accounts mm -hmm. and stuff it's kind of 2012 mm -hmm. so you know, we had the yeah. online brokers. Um, I think Nisa started up the following year, maybe. Um, okay. Uh, you know, Ideco was still restricted to self-employed people, so my wife got it and mm -hmm. I couldn't. So it's, 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 yeah. So we've seen all that become really mainstream now. So now, mm -hmm. you know, it's on the news every night, pretty much. The new Nisa is, yeah. you know, there's a lot it's of interest. Amazing, isn't it? Very so, yeah, cool. sorry to answer your question. I so yeah, I worked for that company. Then I did run my own business for about four, four years or so, and um, yeah, kind of made the decision in the end that trying to like make a growing advisory business because of the way things were changing. Um, yeah, I didn't think it was really a good idea to keep soldiering on. So I've got a you know I've got a group of clients that I still service, I still look after, and I kind of moved back to. Um, the old company or part of the old company that I was working with. So they're called Imperium Capital. They don't actually have an office here. So I'm kind of their man in Japan. There's me and one other advisor here servicing clients here. But I'm much more of a, I'm much more of a farmer than a hunter at the, <laughs> at the moment. I'm not really you know, going out trying to find new clients, new business. I'm just looking after an existing base okay. of clients. So you're not DMing people on LinkedIn or anything like? No, no. <laughs> Not calling guys up at a trading desk at like, um, you know, eight thirty a.m. before the markets open and <laughs> trying to get an appointment with them. Right, <laughs> probably more relaxing that way, I guess. Much more relaxing, <laughs> yeah. Cool. So you actually have a website, Smart Money Asia, which I'm a fan of. I do. Thank um, you. So why 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 do that? That seems quite different to your kind of day job in a way. Absolutely, and I think it was that. It was that recognition that everything's changed. The way that people buy financial services and the way that they choose products, it's all completely different. It's much more buyer oriented now. Um, you know, you, you can do your own research and find an account and go online and open an account without any help. And I kind of recognized this shift and I thought, okay, that's interesting. Um, you know, what can I do? And I thought, well, okay, I can, I can perhaps provide a resource. I've got some experience. Um, and for me, it was kind of, I think you've probably found the same, that it helps you to clarify your own thoughts and oh, ideas so by much. writing. Because, <laughs> you know, you have to make it make sense and you know, make it readable. So I think part of it was for me and part of it was, you know, just for people who were trying to do it by themselves. And, you know, maybe I could, maybe I could help. So I try to make anything, any post that I write, I try to put something in there that's easily actionable. 
you know yeah, if you're trying true. to do this here's how you can do it um you know if you're trying to figure out how to buy this type of investment then here's a way to do it so that's what i'm aiming for and yeah, you of course have done the same thing you've you've created an incredible resource so um i don't think i well, have I'm nearly as many readers and people... fans as you <laughs> no i'm just lucky that people came and contributed because yeah it's it's very much the community well yeah, I, you know, I haven't got the background i haven't got qualifications it's just i made a place and people came and it's it's been yeah that's, i'm really grateful for that wonderful well done yeah so that's why i started just um just recognizing a shift yeah and and um your your emails are really interesting like you kind of kind of periodically you send out to kind of here's what i think is going mm -hmm. on in the world which is uh yeah really interesting to read uh and oh, one thing you. that you think is going on is uh some kind of bitcoin resurgence absolutely yes so um, i'm you're, you're you're certainly more into cryptocurrency than i am so I've sure. been wrong about cryptocurrency since about 2014. <laughs> Someone told me about Bitcoin in 2014. And I was like, that's such a stupid idea. Uh, and I've been wrong ever since. So um, I, I actually do have a little bit of crypto. So okay. I'm not a complete, you know, I'm not completely anti. Um, mm -hmm. I have about one and a half percent in crypto. Which okay. actually thinking about it, that's kind of a stupid amount because it's not gonna it's not gonna make any difference, is it? <laughs> like even if I, it I think you're wrong there. No, I really? think it absolutely will make a difference. Yeah. So you're you're yeah, in I the this is gonna hundred X kind of camp. Um so yeah, obviously yeah. No, okay. I think we're okay. Yeah, I'm kind of high conviction on and Bitcoin rather than crypto. Okay. I think is kind of the first point. I think if you're coming to it as new or relatively new, that's the first thing that you need to separate out. Um, it's not really the same thing. Um, I would focus on Bitcoin to begin with. Um, obviously, yeah, the performance has been out of this world it's probably <laughs> one of the best performing assets on the planet at the moment so just from that perspective um i don't know if you've heard of a guy called paul tudor jones it's kind of a legendary oh, yeah. trader legendary wall street guy so yeah he he owns bitcoin he calls it the fastest horse in the race so he sees this asset class that's just growing exponentially it's got this kind of fan base of investors who no matter what happens, we'll never sell. And, you know, he sees something kind of incredible in that. For me, yeah, when I look at it, so I can break it down. There's, there's three kinds of people who are into Bitcoin. There's the <laughs> engineers. So they're into it for the tech. It's a really elegant piece of, you know, technology and design. There's the idealists who are really in it for the freedom aspect. Um, they think they should have the right to transact peer-to-peer -peer without some trusted third party in the middle, like a bank. So they want, you know, they just want to be able to transact. And then you've got the speculators, which kind of gets grouped into traders and longer-term investors. So personally, I think I have a little bit of the idealist in me. 
I get a little bit sick of, you know, all of the KYC and poor service from, you know, financial institutions. But really, I come at it as an investor. And when I, again, I can kind of break that down into, you know, three reasons why you would look at it as an investment. And the number one, I mean, you just said you have one and a half percent diversification. So if you already own a diversified portfolio of cash, bonds, stocks, you know, property, commodities, you know, if you've, if you've already got a mix of everything, if you add a little bit of Bitcoin, so there's a risk curve, you know, cash is down here, low risk, low return, stocks are up there. Bitcoin, of course, comes in at that kind of top right corner of the risk curve. But if you're already diversified and you add a little, you don't really increase your risk that much, but you increase your return. And so, yeah, one and a half percent, that makes a difference. The return goes up, but you don't, you're not making a massive impact on your risk. Mm. Sorry, Dan, Daniel looks like he doesn't, but that he doubts that one there. Oh, no, 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 no. Please I'm, go ahead. It's, I'm just trying to think, it's, is it called the efficient frontier theory or something yes. like that? Yeah, Harry Markovitz is the guy that, um, so yeah, modern portfolio theory, efficient frontier. If you're looking for a modern day kind of, you know, expert on diversification and asset allocation, Ray Dalio is probably the most famous guy. I think, you know, if you're, if you're building an investment portfolio, that's someone you should read. Um, he pretty much sees it as the most important thing. Interestingly enough, he's not a Bitcoin guy, but he thinks it's interesting. He said, mm. you know, one to 2% of assets is a good <laughs> allocation. Oh, <laughs> so, that's, that's kind of number one. I see it as a diversifier. Um, number two, I see it as protection against the debasement of fiat money. So money as we know it, um, I think people confuse the price of things going up with the value of money going down, which is what's really happening. So we've gone through this period where, especially since 2008, that has accelerated. In the US, in Europe, in Japan, it's been going since you know, <clears throat> the bubble burst in the is 90s. Is that any so. different from owning stocks or real estate, though? Because you could say that no, those think... also protect you from the devalue Absolutely. of the currency, right? Absolutely. So the only reason anybody invests is to preserve or increase their spending power. If you could just put money in a bank account and it would keep pace with inflation, then you wouldn't have to take any risk. So that's the only reason you're taking risk. Um, but again, we're talking about the fastest horse in the race. And we're talking about an asset that's actually been designed to be deflationary. So fiat money is inflationary. They keep printing more of it. If you keep making more of something in increasing the supply, then obviously the value goes down. So the value of money is going down over time. This is the one, you know, the one thing out there that's really been made to be deflationary. And that's kind of my third point there is, you know, it's, it's simply a supply and demand thing. So there's only so ever going only... to be 21 million Bitcoins or whatever, right? Correct. Correct. And if nobody cares and nobody buys it, it will go to zero over time. But if people keep, you know, 
buying it, holding it, using it, transacting with it. You know, if adoption continues and demand rises, then the price can only really go one way. Because that's, that's my main kind of philosophical or logical objection to it. And why should any one mm -hmm. cryptocurrency have any intrinsic value at all? Right. You can just make a new one. Right. You can clone them. Just make the yeah, new Yeah, that's why it's. That's why it's Bitcoin and not crypto, because they have been making more and more and more of them, but they typically don't come with that fixed supply. There's a lot of different models that really, I think of Bitcoin as a kind of digital property. Some people would see it as digital gold. So it's deliberately made to be a scarce digital asset. Mm. Ethereum, which is kind of the number two cryptocurrency is a totally different animal. So that's programmable money. You can, I mean, you can build stuff on Bitcoin, but you can build all kinds of stuff on Ethereum. So you can build decentralized exchanges. You can make, um, you can build stable coins. So you can transact now in coins that are pegged to the dollar and actually backed by dollar assets like US treasuries. But it's a totally different thing from Bitcoin. Um, okay, so you would, you would separate Ethereum separate out ethereum Absolutely. from totally totally the investable and, cryptocurrency yeah yeah so if you're new focus on bitcoin if you already own bitcoin and you're kind of looking for something again you're, you're just taking more risk but ethereum is huge now it's very widely used um, and then you've got all of these other kind of they call them l1s so layer one chains and protocols that are coming out that you know all of them do stuff you can build on solana you can build on polygons but they're all kind of coming down the list now and bitcoin operates it's designed to operate in a four-year cycle probably the number one important most important thing you have to understand about it is the four-year cycle we're actually coming up to what's called the halving I'm not going to try and explain too much about crypto <laughs> mining because I don't know what I'm talking about when it gets to the technical stuff, but very, very simply the, you know, computers generate blocks, basically a new blocks created about every, in every 10 minutes, I think. And computers are doing work calculations in order to race for that next block. And the reward that you get for mining a block and mining a Bitcoin gets halved every four years. And it's, uh, okay. it's basically a, a four-year limiter on supply. So the supply of Bitcoin slows down. It becomes harder to mine. The reward gets smaller. And, you know, I think, you know, we're already at 19 million something has been mined. There's only a couple of million left, but that couple of million is going to take an awful long time because it keeps getting more difficult. So what you see is that each time that supply gets cut in half, or the speed of the supply gets cut in half, you enter a bull market. Ah, the existing ones get more valuable. Yeah, so <clears throat> Bitcoin becomes more valuable as it becomes more scarce. So you go through these periods. The first time anyone asked me about Bitcoin was 2013. Why? Because it was in a bull market. It went from, you know, a hundred, a few hundred dollars to over a thousand dollars. And then nobody asked me about it for four years.
because of course it got to the end of that bull market cycle and into the bear market. So the next time I heard about it was 2017, which was the first time I bought it actually. I bought it kind of early 2017 and I watched it go up to 20,000. I was like, wow, this is really cool. I wonder how high it's going to go. And then I watched it go back down to 3,000. And then I kind of learned like, okay, there's a cycle here. And I started, you know, understanding this four year cycle of Bitcoin. This only applies to Bitcoin and all of the other crypto assets just follow that. Mm, right. This is the only one that this is really, I I think of it as a base layer of internet money. It's really all that matters. The guys that trade crypto are not trading it to get more dollars. They're trading it to get more Bitcoin. Mm. So they will trade alts and you know small cat crazy dog coins that don't really do anything in an effort to gain more bitcoin so that's why i say bitcoin not crypto it's bitcoin that drives the whole cycle so getting an understanding of that cycle the next halving date is um, april this year it was up 150 150 i wrote it down 154 percent last year i think bitcoin so wow. to just come out of that bear market, you know, it crashes 80% from top of a bull market to, to the bottom. So yeah, we went from kind of 69,000 top November, 2021, whole bunch of stuff blows up as it goes down. FTX blew up, Luna blew up, absolute carnage. Cause you know, it's a new industry and people are running it and people do stupid things, <laughs> but then a base was formed. I think it got about as low as about 16,000, maybe 14,000. And they have an accumulation period. You know, everybody hates it for a while and then people start accumulating it. And then, yeah, last year, the year before the halving, it's up 150%. Halving is coming soon. So 2025 next year is when we'd expect to see the kind of next peak. And, you know, all of this is probability. There's no guarantee it's going to happen, but probably based on the four-year cycle and the way that the asset works, we're going to have, we're going to see some fireworks over the next one year. Uh, year A higher cap than 69 grand or whatever it was last time. Probably, Mm. probably. No guarantees. Nobody knows for (laughs) sure, but, but most likely, I'm pretty high conviction that that's going to happen. Are you not concerned that it's held by so few people, like the vast majority of it? It's you a know, what is a it, like 80% of it is held by like one wallet or two wallets or something? Oh, I don't know. If, is that really true? I don't know if that's true. Okay. Um, a lot Obviously, of I'm not an expert, but there seems, it seems very concentrated in a few people's hands, right? The, the vast majority of it. I, I never thought so. Okay. Um, Obviously, there are some people that do own big chunks. I mean, MicroStrategy, I don't know if you're familiar with the company. It's run by a guy called Michael Saylor. So he sees Bitcoin. His whole reason for buying Bitcoin is this protection against the debasement of money. So, um, you know, he runs a successful company. It makes a lot of money. It's got a huge cash balance. And he just sees it as this big melting ice cube that he's sitting on and he started buying Bitcoin. That company owns about 180 something thousand Bitcoins at present. So he's made a huge bet 
he's just been accumulating it. His average price getting in is about 30,000, 31,000. So yeah, that's a big holder. But there's a lot of small holders. There's a lot of people that own less than one Bitcoin. There's a lot of people that own you know, between one and three. I think you'll find that it's, yeah, it's pretty well spread. What I do like about um, crypto, well, the blockchain cryptocurrency is that even if you do get people holding a lot, it's all mm -hmm. transparent. You can see as soon as that moves to somewhere else and you can see where it goes and uh, identify yep. changes rather than it being hidden somewhere. Yeah. Anyone, anyone who knows how to look can look. It's a distributed okay. ledger. I mean, all money is a ledger at the <clears> end of the day. It's just, it's just a balance sheet of I owe you this and you owe me that. This just happens to be, it's not stored in any central place. You know, it's distributed around the network. And yeah, like you say, anybody can see, you can check if you want to know who's got it. Slightly um, more practically, yeah. um, in Japan, cryptocurrency trading is, is taxed as income rather than yes. capital gains, which is incredibly unfavorable. Uh, that doesn't yes. put you off. Do you think that's going to um, change in the future? I wish I could say yes. Um, it's changed for corporates. I can't remember what changed exactly, but um, I think for corporates, it's it's taxed more like capital gains now. But for individuals, yeah, it's still taxed as income. So it doesn't really pay to trade it if you live in Japan. Um, you're much better off holding it for the long term. There or is if a, you're um... going to trade, then trade the four-year cycle long term um, there is yeah. a lobbying group isn't there uh, i can't remember what it is now uh, in japan every year they come out and they sort of push for changing yeah. tax laws but i think it's just yes. it's not happening yet it was kind of crazy because when i first bought it in 2017 japan was considered a global leader in regulation of crypto is that before then, Mark yeah. Box blew up <laughs> no no this is after after okay Maybe yeah, because yeah, this of is, this is, this is, well, yeah, partly, yeah. They knew people were going to buy it anyway, and they wanted regulated exchanges. But yeah, they were kind of all, you know, we're going to regulate it and we'll be a world leader, but actually we're going to tax it. You know, we're going to penalize you for making money on it as an individual. Yeah, it's a little bit of a shame. Something I mentioned in a recent post is that's what makes ETFs mm. attractive. So the US finally, after years of wrangling, just approved spot Bitcoin ETFs. So an ETF that you know holds actual Bitcoin rather than something that just trades futures. Finally got done. Yes. Can I just stop you there? I just want to explain to listeners, uh, if you're not aware, ETF means exchange traded fund. And it's kind of a package that you can buy and sell just as regular shares um, through your, your brokerage. Um, and so Connected with that, I don't want to ask you, do you think that's going to come to Japan as well? Oh, I don't know, actually. I I haven't heard anything. No. Okay. Sorry to interrupt. Do you know if we can buy no, the US ones from Japan? If you have a US brokerage account, yes. Okay. So then you wouldn't be able to get them through a Japanese broker, but maybe if you have an overseas it's broker. Unlikely. I don't know. So a Japanese broker, you can typically you can't buy all US stocks, right? You can buy kind of the the popular the ones. ones. <laughs> I can't see them approving a spit a, a Bitcoin ETF that easily, but we'll see. I mean, you look at the names that have launched them: BlackRock, 
largest asset management company in the world. I wrote down the AUM, $9.1 trillion in assets under management. Um, just launched a spot Bitcoin ETF. This is what people have been talking about for years is the institutions are going to come to, you know, Bitcoin and crypto. So it's, it's happening. Invesco, Fidelity. Another good guy to follow is um, a guy called Urian Timmer. He's the director of global macro at Fidelity, which is a huge U.S. investment firm. Um, and he writes a lot about Bitcoin and he comes at it from that um, diversification angle. He talks a lot about Metcalf's law, which is something that's worth looking at, um, which is how you calculate the value of a network. So the mm. value of networks is proportional to the number of connected users to the system. So as the, as the users increase, the value goes up. So he compares it a lot to mobile phone adoption, internet adoption, and, you know, this isn't some guy in a hoodie. This is the director of Global Macro at Fidelity talking about Bitcoin this way. So, again, do you want to own a little bit of it? To me, it's kind of a no-brainer. Mm. Don't go overboard. Don't put your life savings into it, of course. <laughs> but um, If yeah. people do want to do that in Japan, there are several um, cryptocurrency-specific regulated uh, brokers i've used um ah sbi has one i've forgotten the name now uh virtual uh, sbi vc sbi virtual currencies i think it is and then mm -hmm. i've used bitflyer um yeah those two both seem to be highly regulated a little bit frustrating with the red tape but a little bit more uh well i felt they were a bit yes. Uh, safer yes yeah any exchange in japan is heavily regulated heavily policed, regular checks, um, FSA coming in, telling them to improve this, improve that. Doesn't mean they can't get hacked. Um, although in Japanese exchanges have always compensated users when they do get hacked. But that's, a, that's another thing that makes Bitcoin so tricky is that you shouldn't really be giving it to a third party to look after. Mm. You absolutely shouldn't be leaving it sitting on an exchange. So if you buy your Bitcoin on Bitflyer, you shouldn't really leave it sitting there because right. they, they can get hacked. Um, even if they don't. Um, so I had that with Bitflyer. They sent me a message once saying, can you please explain where this transaction came from? Um, yes. If you don't answer within seven days, we'll freeze your account. I'm like, whoa, 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 that's, that's my money. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, so much for Bitcoin being the freedom money. Um, it's right. yeah, it's, it's going to get more and more regulated. Mm. But that said, you can still transact peer to peer. So I can, you know, I can pay you guys for a service and we don't need anybody to get between us in that transaction. And, you know, it's, it's changing. It's still really clunky for actually transacting Bitcoin in particular compared to you know, stable coins, for example, but more and more stuff's being built more and more layers. If you think of Bitcoin as the base layer, more layers are being built on top of that. I've seen demos where you can stream Bitcoin. So, you know, we could be having a consul consultation here and I could be streaming you by the minute a payment. Oh, <laughs> um, nice. you know, for the consultation. So it's going to get easier to transact. So, yeah, I think the only question is, do, do you think that more and more people are going to buy it, hold it, use it, trade it? 
if the answer is yes, then it's probably a good thing to own some. And yeah, if the answer is no, then I think that's fine too. It seems quite likely now that you know they're bringing out financial products that contain it that are easy to buy. You know, if you've got yes. mutual funds that hold Bitcoin that you can buy on, you know, by the yen, you know. Yeah. Ah, sorry. I remember how I got onto ETFs now because, of course, if you own an ETF, it's taxed as stock in Japan. Yes, oh. exactly. Yeah. That was that was the point I was getting to somewhere. Right <laughs> yeah, nice to make. Yeah, so that, nice to make that. Taxed as capital don't... gains compared to it's not actually taxed as crypto, even if it even if it holds crypto. Hmm. But we don't so have that's interesting. in Japan just yet for me to put no. it. Yeah, that would be the game changer, wouldn't it? Because it, it mm -hmm. removes the the tax disincentive. Yes. The Bitcoin purists are probably not fans. <laughs> but yeah, there's a gold ETF. It's the same thing. You don't really own the gold. It's in a vault somewhere in HSBC. But you get exposure to you know the asset class and its movements. Hmm. So, yeah, nice. So, what, what percentage would are you comfortable saying what your percentage is of crypto? Yeah, it's probably higher than average <laughs> out of total investments, and it changes it changes during that four year cycle. But now, I'm probably at 34, 30 to forty percent of total investments. So that's my level of conviction. I don't recommend anybody else does that. <laughs> I think I think you know one or one or two percent or three to five percent. Again, it just depends. I I was watching. Is it Konichi Japan? Oh, you Konichi had, um, Value. Konichi Value. That's right. You had mm -hmm. Ray on here, right? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was talking about you know if you don't if you're not used to buying stocks, then just buy something, and you know, get a little bit of exposure. And I think that's how I think pe people really should get started with Bitcoin is get a small amount, you know, doesn't have to be a big amount of money, um, whatever you're comfortable with. And once you actually own a little bit, then you'll keep an eye on it. You'll read about it. You'll start to learn more. And you may find that your level of conviction goes up over time and you want to increase that. Yeah, because it's fractional, isn't it? You can buy... Yeah. Minuscule yes, good point. Of, of one Bitcoin as well. Good point. You don't have to buy a whole one. A lot of people make the mistake of going like, oh, Bitcoin's $40,000. So I don't want to buy that, but I can buy a dog coin that's, you know, hmm. it's one, one cent. So I'm going to buy that because it's cheaper. And yeah, it's not the same thing, clearly. So yeah, you can buy a fraction. You can invest 1,000 yen or 5,000 yen into Bitcoin. And mm. just dip a toe. But keep I... it in your own wallet. Yes. Yes. Um, that's, yeah, that's the tricky thing is, you know, you have to take responsibility for it, you know, yourself. That's another downside, isn't it? Because there's, you know, the stories of people that had, you know, 60 Bitcoins on their hard drive and it's in a landfill somewhere. Like, you know, yes. there's, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah. A lot of people, uh, you know, you know, they don't feel comfortable being responsible for either you know keeping track of the password or keeping track of the device so yes yeah i think if you're if you're not confident of your ability to you know 
keep something safe and keep your password and stuff like that, then yeah, you should definitely be careful. <laughs> um, maybe maybe self custody is not for you, but there are other solutions. So there are now what's called multi-sig solutions. So you don't actually give your Bitcoin away, but um, you share the, instead of just having one private key that you own, you, you you share it out with a couple of organizations. So if you lose yours, then there's still two backups. So there okay. are multi-sig solutions available now. I didn't do a good a very good job of explaining them, but they they take away some of that risk of you know you've lost your password. And I think custody solutions will also increase. So they already exist, but you, there will be more and more reliable institutions that you could get to hold it for you for a fee. Okay. All right. I think that's a really good overview of cryptocurrency for anyone who, who didn't have a strong opinion already. <laughs> and um, yeah, just going yes. back to kind of general personal finance. So what's your kind of bog standard advice for people? Okay. Um, so basic things. I think probably the first thing and it's always the most difficult is just to have some kind of plan and you know it's difficult for people who are living outside of their own country they don't necessarily know how long they're going to stay and um, it's it's tricky i understand but if you don't have some kind of plan of, that you're working towards it becomes very difficult to get things organized so i think that's number one just try and feel your way to a plan of, okay, I'm going to stay here for X number of years. Then I'm going to go there. Then I'm going to do this. I get it that it's not easy, but that that's the first thing. Have a plan, cover the basics. So before you start investing money, you need to get an emergency cash reserve money stashed away in the bank. This is money that you're not going to spend. You're not going to invest. It's there for, yeah, emergencies if you need it. And everyone has a different level of comfort. It depends a lot on your level of job security. You know, if you're really confident in your job, then maybe you only need a couple of months. Expenses covered. But, you know, for most people, if you lose your job tomorrow, you'd probably want to have three to six months expenses covered in a bank account. Some people want a year, some people want more. Get a cash reserve you know, basic insurance, you know, make sure your health insurance is covered. You know, Pretty maybe you want some, yeah, absolutely. Get rid of that as fast as possible. <laughs> yeah. Get rid of high interest debt as quickly as you can. Yeah. Basic insurance, cash reserve, some kind of pension and by pension, it doesn't have to be a pension product, but something that you consider a longer term investment that you're putting money into on a monthly basis, even if it's a very small amount. Again, just get started with something. It doesn't have to be perfect from day one, but get in the habit of you know, taking some of the money that you, that you save each month and putting it into medium to long term investments. And, you know, once you've covered the basics, the name of the game is kind of growing your personal balance sheet over time hmm. <clears throat> is how I look at it. So when I do a kind of a 
a planning session with somebody, I'm going through their balance sheet and saying, okay, well, first, you know, income expenditure, you know, how much do you receive? How much do you pay out? What's left over at the end of the month? Then, you know, what do you have in fixed assets, medium to longer term assets? What do you have in cash? Just the world, according to me, is kind of, it should be about 10 to 20% in fixed assets, 10 to 20% in cash which includes your emergency fund and then 60 to 80% in medium to long, longer term investments. And then, yeah, you just try to make that bigger. And it's Every very year. boring once you set it up, but yeah, it's not really, good, right? <laughs> not really exciting. Yes. There's no magic involved. Yep. It's just getting in the habit and keep doing it. We've had a couple of questions uh, from our listeners. Thank you. And I think they're related, so I'm going to say them together. Uh, David says okay. Bit Bit Bitcoin is quite scary. And Jack says, yes. should I invest in crypto or stocks or both? Okay. So, yeah, Bitcoin is quite scary. I guess we'll take that one first. Yeah, I mean, everybody's tolerance for risk is different. If it's scary, then you're probably not ready to do anything. Um, so start with building up other assets again, when, when we're talking about, you know, using it as a diversifier, the, the aim is first to get something that's diversified. Mm -hmm. So the question again about stocks or Bitcoin, you're, you're talking about two assets that are, you know, kind of high and right on that risk curve. You're not really diversified if you only own stocks. I think it's okay if you're young and it's, and it's fine also if you're young and you're just contributing a small amount every month because you get that averaging effect. It's a good way to buy anything that's scary. Scary really just means it goes up and down a lot. Mm -hmm. So buying it little by little, same amount every month. And you know, some months you buy less because the price is higher and some months you buy more because the price is low and you get that average effect over time. So you purchase a volatile asset at an average price. But yeah, should I invest in crypto and stocks or both? Um, ideally both, but ideally also cash bonds, you know, property commodities, you ideally, you want to have a little bit of everything. Yeah, and you mentioned so both, that just, both and more, basically. <laughs> I guess yes, the, the but, I, but yeah, I get it. I mean, Bitcoin is scary. Crypto and crypto is more scary and it should be. So Bitcoin goes down 80% in a bear market. Everything else goes down 90, 95. Or 100. It's hard to come. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah, it's hard to come back from 100% down 95% too. So yeah, of course, you should approach with caution. It's, if it doesn't fit your risk profile, then you don't have to do it. Yeah, it makes sense. Actually, that's something that I, I come back to a lot is that um, it's not a competition. So no one's, you know, there's no prizes for being the best performing, you know, person with a portfolio. You've just got to reach your goal. No. So as long as you exactly. reach your goal, you win. So yeah, so do things that you're comfortable with as long as you're getting towards your goal, I guess. Absolutely. Yep. And if you keep kind of learning and studying on the way and you find that your risk tolerance increases, then great. You can take a little bit more risk. But yeah, sleeping at night is important. 
we've had a, a question on Facebook, foregone conclusion. Oh, sorry, on YouTube. So I've, I've heard about this, the Chinese New Year. Is there a cycle at the start of the year when the Chinese, all of them, get their $50,000 investment limit and plow it overseas into crypto, for example? Or has that ended? Was it ever a thing? Was it all a myth? I'm afraid I don't know the answer to that yeah. question. I've never heard that before. Oh, it's kind yeah. of kind of interesting. I remember when um, in past uh, cryptocurrency bubbles on Reddit, if the price shot up for some reason, there would always have to be some reason that people knew and everybody else didn't. And yes, inevitably it would be January, in February. And it's, okay, <laughs> it's Chinese New Year, and all Chinese do this and get money and put it in that. Um, yeah, one billion people they all did yes. the same thing, and that's why it went up. I have heard a lot of the current stock market boom in Japan is from overseas investment, some of it Chinese. So there is something to that. But absolutely, I'm hearing that um, because the Chinese stock market's not doing so great at the moment. Mm -hmm. And yeah, people follow price. This this is what happens. I mean, this is (laughs) so cheap now. This is why this is why we have bull markets and bear markets because people react to price. If the price of the market goes up, then more people want to buy it. And it's the same with Bitcoin. It's the same with stocks. So, yeah, there's probably Chinese money. I, well, there definitely is Chinese money coming into Japanese stocks at the moment and other other overseas investment, too. But I don't know if there's some Chinese New Year deadline. Right? Like, I don't hmm. know. Fascinating theory, though. Awesome. So what kind of mistakes do you see a lot? people making because that might be more kind of instructive than the kind of standard advice sure. which people kind of it goes in one ear and out the other but you know what are the sure. what are the big mistakes i go on and on at people about base currency so i think currency is a mistake that people make with investing and it doesn't really affect people who live in their own you know their home country so much but once you start moving around the world and moving overseas base currency can you can have a great investment in the wrong currency and make zero money so it's really important people tend to confuse their base currency with the currency they're earning money in so they live in japan they're earning yen so i'm going to invest in you know japanese yen and buy japanese stocks but if you're going to spend the money in another country, in another currency, you're taking currency risk. So understanding your own base currency, then you know, people make this mistake a lot. Japanese people have made this mistake so many times since the bubble burst and interest rates have been low here as they go chasing yield. They buy New Zealand bonds, they buy Brazilian bonds, and it's great. You know, they're paying Turkish lira, right? <laughs> Turkish lira. So getting your base currency right and well not getting it wrong talking about mistakes so if you know if you're from the uk you're going to live in japan but you're retiring in the uk your retirement fund should be in pounds you shouldn't be saving in yen Um, if you're going to retire in the uk but your kid really wants to go to school in america and you're thinking you're going to pay for that then now you have two base currencies because you've got to fund your retirement in the UK, but you want to be saving dollars so that your child can go to school in America. So people can have multiple base currencies. 
So I think that's the biggest mistake is getting a good investment in the wrong currency. That's really interesting because I haven't heard it. I haven't thought about it like that before, but I've, I've had, you know, there's this image that if you stay in Japan too long, especially at the moment with the weekend, you're really mm. limiting your ability to go home, as it were. You know, career-wise, yes. investment-wise, money-wise. Um, and yeah, the currency yes. is kind of a missing piece of that puzzle, I think. Yes. So my long-term view on... Sorry, go ahead. Uh, no, no, sorry. We'll, we'll, come, we'll, come to, we'll come to the future of Japan, I think, next, won't we? Oh, okay. But yeah, my um, long-term long view of the yen is kind of negative. Ah, okay. So I have a separate question, but that kind of links with Jack's sure. question from Twitter. He says mm -hmm. related thing. Do you think that it's worth buying up yen while it's still cheap now and waiting until it gets better to sell off? It's a big assumption, isn't it? Yeah. Until. I mean, if it's your, <laughs> comes back to this base currency. So if you're if you're Japan based currency, you're going to spend all the money here. Then obviously, um, you know, if you own dollars now, it's a great time to change it for yen. But if you're trying to play this, you know, I'm going to sell it at 147. And then, you know, when it goes back to 110, I'm going to flip back. Personally, like I said, I'm quite negative long term on the yen. Simply because Japan has huge amount of debt to GDP. It has an aging population problem. Um, you know, it's declining as a kind of global economic power so i wouldn't want to be taking those bets you say that you know bitcoin is scary currency can be pretty scary if you get stuck in the wrong one lots of people had this during covid um when the you know when the yen actually it wasn't so much covid that did it but when the yen kind of dropped a lot of people were kind of caught and Actually, yeah, it kind of it kind of hit people more when COVID ended and they wanted to travel. Mm. And it's like, okay, I want to go home now, and now I'm allowed to get on a plane. I want to I want to go and, and travel. And um, they'd been stuck in the wrong currency, and they'd been stuck in yen all of this time. And now oh, you want to go three times as much now. <laughs> yeah, so currency can get you in a relatively short amount of time if you're in the wrong one. Yeah, build assets um, in your base currency. Related to that, so in uh, Nisa and Ideco, when you're choosing funds, I've seen several uh, which say hedge adi. So they have some kind of currency yes. hedge in there. It's a dollar denominator yeah. or whatever, but you can buy it within Ideco, yes. within Nisa. What do you think of those yeah. compared compared to like pure Japanese funds, pure yen funds? It's a good question. So just in terms of so just because a fund is priced in yen you know it depends what it holds as to what's the underlying so mm -hmm. a regular kind of us s p 500 stock fund that you see in japan that's priced in yen i think there's a what is it it's a maxi slim mm -hmm. global stock fund is i think i saw that's been the most popular fund in new nisa so far the whole country so fund is, yeah. yes so that one's not hedged so it's priced in yen, but your underlying assets are a big mix of, you know, dollars, euros, pounds, a little bit of everything. So you're getting this um, foreign currency exposure, which if the yen keeps weakening is good for you. 
if the yen strengthens is not so good for you. Um, the hedge funds basically take take the currency risk out of it. So although you're allocating to, for example, US assets, you don't have to worry so much about the, the change in currency. Mm. So the question then becomes, are you buying this fund just because you want to get, you know, you want to get access to global stocks or is it because you also want to get underlying currency exposure to something outside of the yen? Mm -hmm. so and the hedging raises the fees quite a bit, doesn't it? It does. It does raise the fees. So I don't typically buy um, currency hedged funds. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there's a reason why you might to take that mm -hmm. kind of currency risk out of it. Yeah. Particularly if you're yen based currency. Mm. Um, we uh, sorry, the time is going on, but we do have some more questions. If that's okay, uh, probably sure. quickly do this. The Bean Pod on Twitter. Hello, the Bean Pod. Um, what do you guys think Bean about time. the recent boom in uranium stocks? That's what we're all thinking about. Maybe is it a I big fan? <laughs> is it the next big thing? Please tell me it is the next big thing. They say absolutely, it's the next big thing. <laughs> if you want to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I honestly don't know, but I have noticed that uranium stocks have been going crazy. It's a satellite holding. So I talk about core satellite. You have your core portfolio and then you have, you know, a little bit in stuff that's exciting. Yeah. Just like Bitcoin or crypto, that's, that's a high risk, very concentrated bet that if it comes off, um, you know, you can make huge financial gain. And as long as you don't put too much in, you're not going to, you know, destroy the bean pod farm um, <laughs> so yeah i, I don't know anything chickens, about, yeah. i don't know anything about uranium stocks but i have noticed they've been going crazy i don't own any mm -hmm. but yes it's the next big thing <laughs> i was hoping you just were don't say buy India. more than about five percent worth of uh, uranium <laughs> yeah stocks. again again just a small percentage of your of your overall assets i think you know why not and and one more, this will be the last one, but um, going back to the uh, the chickens are safer now, says the bean pod, that's good. Uh, going, back to, <laughs> going back to the yen, the yen dropped because, well, partly because other countries tightened, they raised their interest rates and Japan did not. What happens when, if Japan decides to raise interest rates? Yes, so absolutely correct. So the kind of interest rate differential, you know, US is kind of easy to understand. US is at about five and a half percent base rate whereas Japan's still at minus or pretty much zero. So yeah, that's that's the reason that the yen has dropped is because people want to buy US assets more than they want to, you know, more than they want to own Japanese assets. So in theory, if the Federal Reserve in the US starts cutting rates at some point this year, the yen should come back into balance a little more. So it should strengthen. Personally, I think it's highly unlikely the Bank of Japan are going to raise rates very far. If they do raise, it's going to be very, very small. And anything more than that will probably cause chaos, particularly in the bond market, which is huge. Mortgages but yeah. too. Like 90% of mortgages are floating rates, I think, at the moment in Japan. Yes. That many? Yes. So yeah, in theory, it should, I think in the short term, the yen should strengthen against the dollar. Maybe we get back to 130 or something. But like I say, my kind of long-term view is that um, the yen is not a good place to be unless you're really going to spend the money in yen. 
And the dollar is actually the best place to be because that's the global reserve currency and that's the one that will go down last. Japan out of developed markets is, is kind of the one that's furthest along the monetary experiment path in terms of, you know, printing money and debt to GDP. So Japan is kind of the one that's going to meet its reckoning first. I don't know what it's going to look like. It's probably not going to be good though, but there's going to have to be some kind of reset. I think that segues nicely into the last thing we wanted to talk about, which is um, what do you think is going to happen in the future? So yeah, particularly with Japan, I guess, because everyone, pretty much everyone listening is is either living here or wants to live here. <laughs> sure. Sure. What are the so big yeah, themes that will affect individuals in the future, do you think, in Japan? Yeah, I mean, of course, it's demographics. It's what's going to affect everybody here. Um, I can't remember the name of the author. I think you posted the piece as well by the Japanese author who was very pessimistic about Japan's demographic situation. I'm not that level of pessimistic. I think that's probably going a little too far. Obviously, it's a huge problem that the country needs to deal with. But I think Japan will deal with it one way or the other. And they won't deal with it as fast as we want them to. And they'll deal with it in their own way. But I think it's already slowly starting to change. I think the attitude towards um, immigration is slowly starting to change. It's going to take time. They're not just going to suddenly you know, flip the switch and solve the demographic problem. But yeah, obviously, huge amounts of debt with um, you know, an aging population. The choice... It's, yeah, it's become really are, obvious, hasn't it? Like staff shortages. Yeah last what yes. four or five years where you're like okay this restaurant is not running properly because it hasn't got enough people um yes you know stuff wanted everywhere <laughs> yeah so something's I think got I to saw, give i think i saw today they're even changing the law about hiring um foreigners to work in kind of you know local government prefectural offices and things mm -hmm. that was kind of a no foreigners zone previously but that's changing i think it's going to change gradually and yeah, Japan will deal with it in a very Japanese way, which a lot of people will disagree with. But um, <laughs> just adaptation, isn't it? It's going to be yeah, yeah. You I know, think, we'll centralize think... a bit more. We'll have a few more robots mm -hmm. and AI things. You know, we'll bring in some more foreigners. Like we'll muddle by. Yes, yes, yes. Anything muddle else? by. There will be a way. So other than demographics, no, that's, that's, that's it. That's all I've that's got. The, the overshadowing. <laughs> just crippling debt and terrible demographics yeah other than that, unless you own enough fine. bitcoin in which case you're fine and, yeah and earthquakes oh yeah um, yeah that's the next one so obviously obviously yeah natural disaster is you know very sobering kind of start to the year for anyone who lives in japan just a reminder that you know that can happen to any of us anytime yeah nanka so, yeah. trough is is when right rather than if so yes. yeah that was so that was really I'm not... interesting ending. <laughs> yeah sorry now let's be a little more upbeat so yeah I, I it's really easy to kind of bash japan and say oh japan will never change and it will never get there but yeah i think i think japan can manage its uh, 
manage itself perfectly well and will do. Um, and yeah, Jesper Cole is the other person who you know I regularly post articles on. So he he's got a blog called Japan Optimist. Mm. So if you're trying to get if you, if you're really negative on Japan, then I recommend reading his blog um, to balance it out. Definitely, yeah. yeah I, I post his stuff every so often as well. So it's nice yeah. to have that counterpoint. So yes. So yeah, there's plenty to be optimistic about too. And I'll Brilliant. be here. <laughs> I'm not going anywhere. So whether yeah, it ends I'm up planning to bad, stay as well. Probably so. we're, yeah, we're all going to be here. So we'll face it together. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for coming on, Martin. Thank you both too. Uh, much appreciated. It was really fun. So anyone who's who's listening uh, now or when you see the recording, do check out Martin's site. It's really It's got some really interesting stuff on there. Um, he does have a coaching service as well uh, if you're yes. you know looking for some help and so on uh, and uh, yeah we'll we'll look forward to getting you on again <laughs> especially if Thank Bitcoin like explodes or something <laughs> yes I will come on and say I told you so brilliant all right thanks all right. a lot Martin thank you very much guys thank yeah. you take thank care thank you really nice to speak to you Oh, that was um, that was cool. That was actually the one of the most convincing Bitcoin <laughs> conversations I've ever had. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've always been very skeptical before, but um, yeah, that that made a lot of sense. Yes, I'm already a believer anyway, but what, um, haven't really looked at it for a long time. And so, oh yeah, yeah, maybe it's time to take another look. Um, I've been trying to keep up with the comments. By the way, you had a comment on Twitter. May I comment? Says somebody. Uh, yes, sure. you may. Please. <laughs> Actually, this is our first time um, streaming to Twitter. We've upgraded. Ah. So, you know, we're live on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and Twitter. I'm not going to call it X. No one calls it X. <laughs> it's oh, Twitter. Yeah, cool. We're on Twitter as well. So, yeah, anyone on Twitter, do feel free to comment and post questions and so on. Um, we will answer them when we get a chance. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, other uh, questions from from YouTube. Somebody's pointed out. I'm currently working for a car exporting company. A 200% increase in sales due to the weak yen. Um, nice. So yeah, that's a positive nice. point for Japan. Hopefully, you got a 200% increase in salary as well. Yes, right? congratulations. Because <laughs> that's how uh, companies work. <laughs> yeah. And um, uh, Xchapter says uh, similar in a way to Bitcoin. What are thoughts on precious metals as a currency hedge? Gold versus the yen. Um, if I can speak personally, I have a little bit of gold in my IDECO account. Um, the yeah, SBI IDECO account offers a gold fund in there. I have a small bit just as a hedge. In The Economist magazine, the end of the year, they were indirectly saying that metals like copper could be one to look out because used so much in um, the shift to renewable energies. Mm. Uh, so I've looked into that, although I haven't bought any. Um, yeah, if you want to buy things like copper, like commodities funds will generally have exposure oh. to that kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm not a fan of gold. Um, but, you know, if, if, if it's part of your diversified portfolio, Martin was talking about um, satellite holdings, you kind of small things. You know, if you want to buy gold, then, yeah, buy some, but don't buy a lot is how I'd put it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I don't uh, think it's going to go skyrocketing, but if everything else collapses, then maybe gold will go up and balance it out a little bit. That's how I see it. Yeah. 
Excellent. Um, yeah, that's it, I think. So <laughs> let's go on to the news. On to the news. No, it's not the end of the show. You don't get to, to get away just yet. <laughs> oh, sorry, sticking with the Twitter. Sorry, we don't have a voice uh, comment. No, no, absolutely made. not. <laughs> yeah, just, just, the only um, way to talk on this show is to be invited on as a guest. So <laughs> if you want to be a guest, drop me a DM and tell me why people would be uh, interested. So um yeah so news yeah we have new nisa is here yes so it started i've already started using mine uh i've got my hundred thousand yen in the tsumitate uh i decided to break up the growth portion so i didn't put all 2.4 million in at the same time put in eight hundred thousand. i'll do another eight hundred thousand halfway through the year and so on this is not the mathematically correct way to invest by the way so mathematically, you probably want to put everything in it immediately. So you want to do a lump sum as soon as possible. Um, but personally, psychologically, uh, I'm going to break it up because it's it's quite a lot of money. Um, so it's, it's say that. not not perfect, like in terms of investing theory, but it, it's more comfortable for me. So that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I thought you were going to say the correct way to do it would be to do it, for example, monthly scattered through the year. I'm surprised you said all in one go at the beginning. Yeah, so basically um, the idea is the stock market generally goes up maybe two-thirds of the time. So you want to be in the stock market. So if you've got a lump sum to invest, keeping it out of the stock market uh, is not ideal. Uh, with the Tsumitate portion, that's fine because it's, it's set up like that. You kind of have to do monthly mm -hmm. payments. Uh, but with the growth portion, you know, a lot of people are going to throw everything in in January. Uh, all 2.4 yeah. million if they're able to. Uh, and I'm not putting in new money. I'm, I'm selling stuff in a taxable account and moving that across. So that's oh, kind of protection okay. as well because it's not like it's sitting there in cash. It's just invested in a different account, basically. Mm -hmm. okay. uh, yeah, DCA, uh, this person on Twitter um, again mentions um, DCA, uh, DOST, uh, sorry, dollar cost, dollar cost averaging. averaging. Yeah, so I, I like that because I... As long as I don't completely mess up, I'm happy. So if I do a little bit every month and then I get the average of the price through the year, even if it's not the best, it's also not going to be the worst. And so that suits my attitude to risk. Yeah, that's basically talking about when you have you know, a salary and you're investing from your salary. But if you have mm -hmm. a lump sum, um, the optimal thing to do is to put it all in at once, yeah. even mm -hmm. though um, you might find it more comfortable not to. Maybe this is one of those times where there is sometimes a difference between what's optimally the best, but then what might be psychologically the best. Um, for example, with, with mortgages, um, mathematically, it's best to um, leave it in as long as possible if you've got a low interest rate. But psychologically, you might just want to get it off so that you don't have any debt anymore. Um, so That's a really good example, yeah. So exactly the same thing. There's no reason to pay off your mortgage early in Japan. There's lots of reasons not to. But if it's going to make you happy uh, and you're comfortable not having a mortgage, then yeah, go for it. Because again, we're not competing to be the most, you know, fantastic money people in the world. We just want to reach our goals and be happy and enjoy life. So yes, yeah. Aha, we can come back to Nick's question finally. Yes. Thanks for waiting, Nick. <laughs> How long has it been? It's been like an hour since uh, you asked the question in the first place, right? Yeah. So, uh, Nick had a question over an hour ago. 
So basically, um, pretty much every financial institution and their mother is offering NISA now. So like the post office has it, every much, pretty much every bank has it, all the brokers have it. So where should you open a NISA account if you don't have one already? Uh, generally, we recommend using a broker. So one of the online brokers, you know, Rakuten, SBI, Monex, uh, Matsui, they, they're all pretty much the same, whichever one you happen to prefer. I use Rakuten. So if you want me to help you, <laughs> and if you get a Rakuten account, that's the easiest way for me to help you if you have a question or something. Um, but all the brokers are the same. And the difference between, say, an online broker and maybe a bank or the post office is the online broker is generally going to have lower fees, much wider selection of things you can buy. Uh, and they're not going to call you up and try and sell you stuff, which banks sometimes do. So banks Even are aware of what you have. What's that? Even the Japan Post Bank. Oh, hell yes. They're the worst. Oh, oh really? Oh, I didn't know. That. <laughs> so you might have noticed like, Last year, a couple of years ago, um, there's a huge scandal where post office employees were lying to people to sell them like unnecessary insurance and uh, signing them up for insurance without their uh, knowledge and stuff. So, yeah, the bank, the the post office is is got a pretty bad reputation. So I would generally not advise going through them for investments and things. Oh. Um, just looking at the. Uh... Japan Post NISA uh, website actually, and they currently offer 125 funds, um, which is nothing compared to what SBI Rakuten, for example, will offer you. Offer you yeah, so um, for the Tsumidate portion, there's about 400 funds that are oh. uh, authorized to be sold as Tsumidate NISA products, uh, just to, for context. Not that you need more than one, mm -hmm. but you want to be able to choose a, a good one, right? So. <laughs> Sorry, and the, uh, the person on Twitter said Japan Post Office are lovely at the counter, and I agree. My local post office lovely, but Lord help you online, they say. <laughs> yeah, like sending money with them used to be a complete nightmare, right? Like four thousand oh, yeah. NB and like huge yes. forms, and yeah. So now we have wise, so we don't need to worry. <laughs> yeah. So there's a good question about the percentage return. So basically the Emacs is slim or country fund is based on the MSCI uh, world index, which is basically 1500 world companies. So that's the return you're going to get. However, those companies perform, that's what the return is going to be. Uh, I think historically the return on the world stock market is about 8%. But, you know, Historical returns are not a guarantee of, of future returns, but that's roughly what it's been so far on average. Okay, uh, Ben, let's time, let me give you a little quiz. I have just opened the Emacs is Slim All Country page. Oh, okay. no. <laughs> <laughs> and it's showing me the figures for the past month, three months, six months, blah, blah, blah. Uh, let's take well, the, the last few years have been pretty good, I think. Well, let's take the past year. Okay, let's test you. Over the past year, the past 12 months, what do you think the percentage increase or decrease has been on the Emacs Slim All Country Fund? Uh, well, it's denominated, it's denominated in yen, so that's also going to make a big difference. So whenever the yen tanked, it's going to have gone up a lot, the like the the price. I'm going to say thirty five percent. Oh, that's pretty good. It's actually thirty point four percent. 
Oh, okay. So I've got that pretty good. I didn't cheat. I didn't cheat. I didn't pull it up in another window. Like impressive. impressive. <laughs> yeah, um, that's just a rough idea. Yeah, well done. But yeah, as you say, but that's not, not like normal. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of currency movement in there as well. Mm -hmm. So that's not the kind of return you can expect going forward. It was just a good year. So yeah, yeah, good one. Um, we're getting lovely comments today. Thank you. Uh, just uh, missed one from uh, Jack. Oh, actually, we'll finish talking about Nisa, and then we'll come back to Jack's question in a minute. Mm, um, okay. I did have a question for you about Nisa, actually. So you put your money in, let's say, at the beginning of the year, and you buy some uh, fund or shares, and then you change your mind, you sell those because you want to buy something else. You, when you buy something, obviously your allowance goes down a bit. When you sell that stuff in the Nisa, does your allowance go back up, or are you well, always just reducing it? That's a really good question. Um, so there's two allowances, right? You have an annual allowance where you can buy 1.2 million in Sumidate and 2.4 million in growth. Mm -hmm. That annual allowance doesn't come back. Doesn't. Oh. So if you buy 2.4 million in your growth and then you sell a million, you don't get to buy a million again. Mm -hmm. You've used up your annual allowance. Now, your lifetime allowance, you can get back. And how much is that again? So that's six million in the Tsumitate and twelve million in oh. the growth. So basically five years worth. If you max out Nisa, oh. if you're in that position where you're able to max out Nisa, after five years you won't be able to put any more in unless you sell something. Oh, okay. And then you get it. back the cost basis. So whatever you bought it for, that's how much you get back, not whatever it's okay. grown to. But yeah, you can oh. reuse Nisa, and you, that you can use yeah. that to change your portfolio so say you want to sell some stock stuff buy some bonds that's how you do that mm -hmm. but the annual limits don't come back yeah and they couldn't have the same rule for both because it's japan <laughs> well if if you could get your annual limits back you could trade mm. un, in an unlimited oh, fashion and they don't want people right. doing it oh, so okay, that's what the annual limits for it's to stop people trading oh, okay i'll let them off that makes sense <laughs> <laughs> You're gonna to have to do your trading somewhere else. <laughs> I gave up. I, I, my poor track record has told me that no, I'm not built for trading. No, like I'm, I'm not. Like I just get too stressed, like looking at mm. the price all the time, and like, yes. no, I'm not good. Not yes. for me. <laughs> yeah. uh, okay, if we don't have anything else to do with Nisa, then I'll go back to Jack's question, who is heading off to university this year. Congratulations. Uh, should I wait until after I have graduated or should I start getting some savings so I can invest while I'm still there? That is a fantastic question and a fantastic, I'm so jealous. <laughs> like the <laughs> idea of starting when you're like going to university. I recommend um, opening a broker account, uh, starting to use Nisa. You can open a Nisa account when you're 18 in Japan. Um, but Because you can use tiny amounts of money. I think the minimum investment is 100 yen. So just, just don't even worry about investing a lot. Just get the accounts open, start using them, figure out how they work, see how you feel, buy some stuff, make a mistake. It doesn't matter because it's small amounts of money. Um, but that, that skills and those, that knowledge that you're going to get from playing with it is, is invaluable. And it means that when you get a job and you've actually got some money, um, you'll know what to do and, and you'll avoid making mistakes. So fantastic idea. Open an account. Invest tiny amounts of money, play with it. Uh, don't worry about trying to build it too much. Like enjoy university. <laughs> That's also very important. 
But um, I think playing with, you know, 5,000 yen a month or something is, is a really good idea. 100% agree. And we're in a similar situation now. Someone off to university a couple of years ago and kind of forced him to get a NISA and put a little bit of money in it. You know, there's uh, a little bit of money from grandparents. Okay, put some of that in there. And yeah, he's now seen it's gone up a little bit and he's got a little bit of dividends from it. And it's like, oh, well, that's like <clears throat> free money. Uh, yes, it can go down as well as up. But the, it, the, the ball has started rolling there and it's now much easier for him to top it up, which he does occasionally. I think it's it's the momentum thing, isn't it? Once you get started and you, you get used to the idea and realize it's not as scary as you might think, then it's so much easier in the future. What a gift, eh? To to get started that early. I think so, have yeah. An yeah, extra exactly. decade or two of compounding. Wow. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right. Uh, we're going back to our news then. What have we got next mm. on the news? Um, oh, I found a couple of not necessarily financial things, but uh, one is that there is a police panel that proposed, I don't know if it was actually decided, but pretty likely, I think, um, up to 12,000 yen fine for cycling violations, such as going through a red mm. light or something. And when we discussed it, you said that exists already, I think. Yes. So this this is not a new, well, it's, it's a new paperwork process, basically. There's already a 20,000 yen fine for cycling violations, including using a smartphone, having headphones on, riding two people to a bike, using an umbrella. All this stuff's illegal and riding the wrong way down the road, on the <laughs> wrong side of the road. Um, all of this stuff's illegal. There's already a fine. But apparently, if the police want to fine you for, the, for these offenses at the moment, um, it's quite a hassle for them. There's a lot of paperwork, so they don't want to do it. <laughs> So this new proposal is to make it much easier to issue those fines. So they can give you a pink slip, I think it's called, which is an instant on-the-spot fine, uh, and there's much less hassle for them, so it's much easier for them to hand out fines, and that's what this is about. Right. So I'm hugely in favor. I'm, I'm a re very regular cyclist. I cycle pretty much every day. Other cyclists annoy the hell out of me. <laughs> I wish I could give out fines, you know, I'd do it for free, <laughs> volunteer. Um, but yeah, huge. I think this is a great idea. Anything that makes the streets safer and makes people more kind of, of uh, what's the word, more more aware of what they should be doing and, and what they shouldn't be doing. Fantastic. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and another not really financial bit of news, but interesting, I thought uh, Japan is apparently going to partially lift the current ban on ride-hailing services like Uber from lift. April. Oh, or lift, lift. and lift. <laughs> was that lift, deliberate? Lift. And lift, no, was that? You know, but, uh, yeah. I like lift. Yeah, um, um, yeah this is a bit of a nothing burger, isn't it? Yeah, it's so frustrating. It's oh, almost, almost. Uh, I think from what I understood is that they are going to enable non-licensed uh, drivers to drive uh, so regular people like you and I can drive, but within a taxi firm. So we can't just use our car and go out and pick people up. We still have to go to a taxi firm, and the taxi firm will still take the orders. So basically, it's just a way of increasing the drivers in taxi companies, I think, which may not be a bad thing, what, but it's what, certainly not. Why would you like, do that then? Like, if yeah, you want nothing to be like a taxi driver, you just be a taxi driver. I think yeah. it, it gets rid of the the process for getting the license. Um, mm, yeah, because you need a commercial license, don't you, to drive a taxi? Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, really I don't think it's going to make any difference, is it? Yeah, I was wondering how it works. Whether they would have a because one of the, the beauties of Uber and Lyft is that you use the app, and it's so easy just to get a car. Um, 
Does that I mean we're going to need a, a priest? Plan. What for for all taxi services? Uh, probably not. But um, some of them have their own. Some of them use right. Uber and just call a normal taxi using the app. Uh, so, oh, okay. like Uber's linked up with with taxi companies as well. I think I didn't know that. Okay, I'll have to look into that. So there are apps. I mean, that's the that's the the kind of attractive thing, isn't it? Using your app, mm. paying through the app, like it just takes all the hassle out. Yes. Like telling people where you are and where you want to go, you don't have to do that anymore. You just do it on your smartphone. So. Yeah, we needed to get to the airport a while ago, local taxi company, and we phoned up, um, you know, can we reserve a taxi, please? And they said, oh, no, we only reserve taxis for first thing in the morning. If you don't want a pickup first thing in the morning, we won't come. <laughs> I can't believe it. And I can only think that it's because it, if it's in the middle of the day, it messes up their, you know, they have to make sure there's a driver in that area at a particular time. Oh, and, and that's a reputational risk because they have to promise it, basically. Right, yeah. So they have to be there super early, you know, in advance because of traffic. I don't know. You'd think they'd so, just give you the option and charge you for it. You know, there's a thousand yen fee or something true. for a reservation, or you know. Yeah, no, it was but, just a flat. Yeah. So obviously they don't. They're not interested in business. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get a taxi in the end? Uh, yeah, but it was um, thirty minutes before, and uh... right, yeah. So we phoned, in, 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 yeah, right. Okay, we like taxi now, please. But in the end, they were somewhere else, and then they got lost, and so it was a bit late. So in the end, it was like ah, you know, the backup plan if you get the bus is okay. If we if the bus is late, then we'll get a taxi instead. We had taxi books, and then realized that okay, if well, whilst we're waiting there for on the street for the taxi, what's our backup plan <laughs> if a taxi doesn't work? So we uh, yeah, we might do the bus again in future. Oops. Yeah, I mean, my I'm lucky in that I live next to the station, so there's always a few taxis oh. outside the station. But yeah, right. in the future, um, <clears throat> we're uh, so we're currently on news and and it, current topics. We got some questions in about finance again. We'll get to that. We have a separate Q. We'll come back to it. Yeah, we got questions at the end, haven't we? Yeah. Now talking about buses and transport and stuff like that, we uh, did a bit of travelling, I think, like many people, and uh, I can't remember what your thing was but mine was we flew down to uh kyushu my wife's family and we got the shinkansen back to compare the, the two of them partly for cost reasons because the flights were so expensive <laughs> did you, you did you go traveling as well i went down to tokyo with my grandkids which was oh, uh kind of fun we had to get the green car because there weren't any normal seats to. on the oh, second really? yeah yeah wow. we couldn't there were yeah the only seats available so like my granddaughter was like Woo, we're doing this forever <laughs> like, no you're not <laughs> This is a one-off. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, so, um, I'm guessing the flights were better because they were quicker and less hassle. Well, the funny thing is, so I was quite nerdy about it, and I was keeping a track of every change that we did. I wrote down the type. I have an Apple Note <laughs> if that counts. <laughs> every like change that we did, I took took a note of it. And would you believe it? Flights were faster by five minutes from our local wow. station here in Kanagawa Prefecture to uh down to kyushu uh really surprised and price we're, we're kind of split oh, so it depends on the time of year it was I, I was stupid i looked at the flights and it was like three uh, thirty thousand yen and i thought that's crazy that's too expensive maybe i'll find a deal and i tried to find a deal and i couldn't and then by the time i actually went back and decided okay i'll just get the flights a week later they've gone up to forty thousand. this is coming up to the end of the year ridiculous so 40,000 going down per person. And then on the way back, the Shinkansen worked out at 23,000. 
um, it's uh, four and a half hours, I think it was. And we decided to splash out and we went with the green car and it was 30,000. So it was still less than the peak wow. price flight. <clears throat> and we, my son and I, we like the Shinkansen best because yeah. not only is it nice and comfortable and quiet and smooth and you can walk around and get your a bento and stuff, but um, there's nobody telling you what to pack and checking your luggage and mm. sort of like, you feel like you need approval to fly. Well, you do, I suppose, <laughs> to get through. But no, you just put whatever you want in your suitcase. You've got access to it when you're on the train. And in the station, yeah, you get your obento or whatever. And it was really, really good. Really Okay. Liked it. I was not was expecting a... that. So it's cheaper by by train. You liked it better, and it only saves you five minutes to fly. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, a little bit boring because there's no back of the seat screen. Uh, so I would recommend... Uh, downloading uh, something in advance. I tried on the train, but it took me so long to download this half-hour program that I didn't have enough time to oh, watch it. Oh, using the Wi-Fi. Yeah, the in-train Wi-Fi. Yeah, it was really slow. So download stuff in advance if you want to kill time. But it was really relaxing, comfortable. So much leg room as well. Oh, the green car's great. Like, yeah, um, yeah. Don't go on the grand class because uh, <laughs> yeah, it makes the green car it. seem a bit shoddy. That's the problem really? with that. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Yeah, I've only done it yeah. once um, to Sendai. Yeah, it wasn't long enough. I wanted to be on the train longer if I was going to yeah. pay for grand class. So. Wow, it's strange, isn't it? With with tra trains in Japan, in particular, the sort of the upgrade to the next level class, I think is really good value for money compared to with flights. When you you know go up to business class or whatever, ah, you know, it's yeah. several times more expensive, isn't it? But <clears throat> The train increases. The flat more. fee, I think, four thousand yen for green class, right? Something like that. Uh, maybe um, this was At least 7, on, on my line. It's it's a flat, you know, four thousand yen. Um, right. Grand class is twice that. It's eight thousand yen, but still, that's yeah. not a lot for what you're getting. So, and that's a what two hour journey, something like that. Yeah, it, it, between ninety and and two hours. Yeah, ninety right. minutes, two hours. Yeah, yeah I think. Well, and especially when I think about how much first class train cost in the uk that's really expensive <laughs> any train <laughs> <laughs> yeah true. any train at all like yeah. 200 pounds or something yeah and then it doesn't work and it doesn't have heating and stuff <laughs> like yeah. I, I took my wife on a train in england uh, and we got first class tickets because we bought them in advance and it wasn't too much actually to upgrade and then the first oh. class didn't have heating <gasps> so, so we have to go and sit in the, the normal one anyway <laughs> really? oh no <laughs> oh dear yeah Japanese don't drink. take yeah and i took a bunch of kids from sendai to the uk and europe on a trip oh. by myself 10 kids uh, i'm never doing that again but oh. part of it is we went through the the channel oh. the channel tunnel to mm -hmm. france from the uk and i was like oh it's going to be really exciting and great and everyone was like this is just a really bad dirty shinkansen basically. Oh. Oh, dear. <laughs> so yeah they're not going to be impressed with any trains uh, anywhere else in the world yeah yeah uh, right, moving on to other topics that we've got, and uh, or rather within the news sort of stuff. Uh, ben Carlson, who you mentioned a lot in your um, weekly blog links on retiredjapan.com, uh, he one of his recent articles, I thought he had a great little quote. He says, "We set aside some money for um, retirement, or it could be for you know emergency fund." But um, his approach is when you're thinking about how much to set aside, think of it as a percentage of your income rather than a fixed amount. Because a fixed amount is just going to go down in value over time, whereas a, a percentage is going to like keep its sort of spending power, I suppose. 
yeah hopefully yeah. if your income goes up over time then that'll also grow so yeah it makes a lot mm. of sense rather yeah. than saying twenty thousand yen which might be a huge amount now and almost nothing a couple of years down the line you know just say i'm gonna say five percent or ten percent makes more sense yeah. <clears throat> i do like his uh, his website you uh, you introduced me to that i'll put the uh, there you go the link in youtube and ah nice there. Right. Uh, so that was a quick one there. What else? Oh, yeah. So my, uh, my wife in the post got this uh, little bit scary notification saying something about pensions going up. And uh, of course, I just skimmed it, didn't read everything and thought, oh, goodness me, what, what are we going to do? And I've not 100% got the right story there. Pensions are going up, but not necessarily. Or how does it work? What's happening in 2024? Yeah, so... There's, there's, a, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not down with this stuff. I found a really good Reddit post that explains it. So we're going to link to that in everywhere <laughs> in the description and the chat now. But basically, yeah. So by law, pension contributions and pension payments in Japan are, you know, linked to inflation to a certain amount and so on. So uh, apparently, uh, they also go up in line with average wages, which means that as average wages are going up at the moment, um, pensions are going to go up by 2.7% or 2.8%, depending on whether you're under 68 or over 68. Um, and the contributions are also going up. So if you're paying Kokumi Nenkin, they're going to go up by 460 yen a month. But the payouts are going up by 1,750 yen. So that's good if you're receiving Kokomi Nenkin currently. And it's probably slightly reassuring if you're worried about the future of pension system in Japan. It's actually pretty robust. Check out the post because it's it's really well written. Uh, and I can't claim credit for the content. So <laughs> just click on through to Reddit and check that out. But basically, yeah. pension contributions are going up by a few hundred yen a month uh, from April, I think. Um Yes. So yeah, don't be surprised when that happens. Uh, one thing that did surprise me when I read that thing is that you know it mentioned the uh, sixty-eight age sixty-eight. I didn't realize it had gone up to sixty-eight already. I thought we were still at sixty-six, sixty-seven, or something. But clearly, they're I think they're pushing to seventy, aren't they? In the next few years, I imagine. The standard age is still sixty-five. Oh, okay. To start receiving your pension, you get to choose basically. So standard age is sixty-five. You can take it early as early as 60 but you'll get less and if you take it later than 65 you get more so if you take it at 70 for example it goes up by 42 percent and if you take it at 75 it goes up by 84 percent so it's basically you you kind of get to decide within that parameter okay. uh, the earlier you take it the less you get and that's fixed for life and the later you take it the more you get and that's also fixed for life so you need to kind of figure out when you want to start when you're able to start if you have the option yeah okay um right what else do we have um oh yeah so let's um cover the uh very unfortunate earthquake um mm. <clears throat> we had at the beginning of the year in the ishikawa ken in noto uh, region and one thing i spotted there's a website called spoon and tamago i love that website it's mostly focused on design in japan it'll have like really interesting architecture sometimes and things like that or interesting posters um and it had a good one just recently of different local businesses in the noto area that you can support and looking at them 
uh, it seems that several of them sort of lost their sort of manufacturing um, uh, factories or whatever, but they've got lots of stock which they're still oh. able to ship and sell through their online stores. So it's a way of supporting them and of helping them get back on their feet. Um, uh, for example, there is a soy sauce uh, manufacturer, and I just ordered some and today, and they've shipped it already. So oh, wow. um, they, they're really still on top of things. And uh, there is a sake uh, manufacturer, a wine producer. Um, I'll put that link as well there. Um, oh, so yeah, gin, I see. I just opened the link gin. myself. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, yep, yeah, if you uh, are listening and you don't have access to the computer right away, then it's spoon-tamago.com, a uh, very good website, and it's one of their most recent blog posts. Nice. You can also um, use Furusato Noze if you want to help out the communities uh, in the area, uh, and you can also donate to charities like the Japanese Red Cross and so on who are working over there. Um, I was pretty shocked by how badly the government seems to have messed this one up. Because um, I was fairly, what's that? They they put their hands up and admitted it. I think haven't they? Have they? Right. Well, yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, because I was impressed with with three eleven. I thought, you know, my impression on the ground is that that was handled fairly well. But this one, they seem to have assumed it was nothing, and then it was actually really serious. <laughs> so it took ages to get help to these people. So mm. yeah, pretty shocking. Hopefully, we'll learn some lessons so that you know next time round it it we get a faster, more effective response. Yeah. I, in terms of what did go well, the um, alert, I think we all got it throughout the country on mm. the, the TV. That was very impressive. In terms of, uh, so my, my background is in communication, and in communication, it's get the message across to the right people. And there was no doubt about what you should do if you were in the affected area, thanks to the clear messaging. So. I was yeah. impressed with that. Slightly traumatic for us, but <laughs> it, it was, but I think it sounds like it needed to but be. Yeah, definitely worth um yeah, it was very effective. Really, I'm really sure effective. It saved lives. Yeah. Um we were gonna mention a few of our own uh, earthquake tips. Um and you in particular, you know, you've experienced the tsunami. I didn't realise it was especially at your front door and you didn't realize Well it reached the, the building time. we live in now, yeah, but only when it was there was only a few centimeters at that point. So right. But you didn't know at the time. So yeah, in Sendai, um, we we lost power, obviously, uh, and then we lost kind of internet and phones shortly afterwards. So we had no idea. So I mean, the 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 main, the most damaged area by the tsunami is just a few kilometers down the road from us, um, and it was just raised, right? So it's gone, mm -hmm. uh, but we didn't know. So we had no idea there'd been a tsunami. <laughs> so everyone else was watching it live on TV in. England and Europe and stuff uh, and we had no idea so we, we knew there was a big earthquake we didn't know about the tsunami um, they hadn't installed those sirens yet so yeah it, it, we we didn't know what had happened until we left and went to Kanazawa a couple of days later and then we watched it on TV and we were like oh my god <laughs> so, so that's the other thing like if you're on the ground and and hopefully they've upgraded the you know the mobile networks and so on but yeah, you wouldn't necessarily have access to TV or radio and so on. So, yeah, it's pretty pretty hard to get information once the power goes down. Yeah. What's the lesson from that? Like open your windows and doors and have a look or something? Like that. <laughs> um, I, think, I think having stuff charged. For us, the really big one was keeping the car full of gasoline. Um, uh -huh. like for us now, if it's half full, it's empty, so we fill it again. Um, because we we drove to Kanazawa, uh, and of course, yeah. we couldn't get 
gasoline until two thirds of the way there. So right. you don't want to have a flat tank when, when the earthquake hits. Mm. That's good. Too. Um, and then have um, have cash in small bills because obviously no one's using credit cards or you know PayPay or whatever when right. when there's no electricity, yeah. uh, and no one's got going to give you change either. So if you want to buy stuff, you'll need to have lots of thousand yen notes and and coins and things. That's a really good idea. I thought about that because yeah. the shops are still open. You know, all the conveniences are open, um, mm. but you have to pay with cash and and you're not going to have a big window to buy stuff mm -hmm. yeah we did find as well that uh so we couldn't get a hold of water i was in tokyo at the time couldn't get a hold of water but there was still water in uh, vending machines uh and so at that point yeah um coins were essential yeah apparently a lot of the vending machines now go to free once there's a disaster like they oh, really? set it oh. up so they just dispense um i don't know how yeah whether that actually works but yeah. Mm. Um, I have one tip uh, from, from, I remember an article just after that happened um, from a, I think there's a British guy who's involved in lots of uh, international quake relief um, rescue teams. And he, he was talking about several times he would go into a school or a collapsed building where people have been told to get under tables and desks and this collapsed ceiling basically collapsed these desks and tables and flattened oh. them, unfortunately. Um, and each time he noticed that there were still gaps as he was crawling around on the floor. Um, and so he would see these spaces where somebody could have safely hidden and it would have been safer than being underneath a squashed table. Um, so one mm. thing we, we've got here is we've got a sofa and then a kind of step behind it. And so our safe space in the um, in case of an earthquake is now not going to be under the table it's going to be behind the sofa thinking that if something collapses then the sofa is not going to go to completely flat and if we're next to it lying down we might have one or two feet that forms that sort of triangle where we will hopefully be safe ah, that's a good point um i think the bath as well is pretty strong structurally oh. if you've got a bathtub um yeah. Although part of the table thing is not necessarily to protect you from the house collapsing, but from stuff falling. Oh, on your head, like right? Protect lights. your head, um, lights yeah. or bookcases or something like. Ah, that's true. So yeah. Um, uh, we have a question on on YouTube. Um, salary cat. That's a good name. Uh, <laughs> they say I missed a lot of it. Uh, what do you do once the earthquake alarm goes off? Do you run outside or seek for shelter next to furniture or so? Um, one other thing I want to say about this we, in our previous uh, place in Tokyo when 311 happened we um, had an apartment I was at work, my wife was at home and we were very organised we designated the, the sort of the toilet as the safe space my thinking being that it's a small surface area of the ceiling so you've got a big large ceiling it's more likely that some part is going to fall down you've got a small room with a small ceiling okay quite unlikely that that ceiling is going to fall down and there's water in there you probably don't want to drink it but if you're really desperate there is some water there and we had a little um, bucket in the corner with like mars bars and torch and stuff like that the big earthquake happened i was at work and eventually when i got in touch with my wife you know did, did you escape the toilet and she said she opened the door right the, the house is shaking i thought there's no way i'm gonna die in there closed the door went out of the building <laughs> and so yeah you can have the best plan in the world but when it comes down to it it's like your, your instinct's gonna take over and you might not follow your, your plan and so even if you yeah when, when you're preparing where to shelter you got to think about 
you're in a panic and it's all a disaster around you are you really going to go to that place are you really going to follow that plan mm. so we try to be more practical now and so that's why i've got the sofa because it's much easier just to lie down next to the sofa i always open the door like uh you know if the building shifts the door might get stuck ah right. so the front door or the door of whatever um so i make sure that's open mm-hmm. but you don't want to go outside generally because mm-hmm. then you have falling glass especially if you're in a built-up area so you've got falling glass you've got falling stuff um outside is generally more dangerous than inside she I did believe. injure herself outside actually uh, sorry if she doesn't mind me <laughs> sharing that so yeah she would have been better off staying in but at the, at the, <clears> in the <throat> moment you don't know yeah so i i would say you know that's what i did in in what when that happened and when we've had big earthquakes since is just open the front door and stay inside the door frame as it were just ready to move once it stops because the other thing if it's shaking badly enough you can't actually walk around (laughs) Hmm. so a door frame is meant to be the safer uh, part of the room i don't know i just want to make sure that door is openable Right. Okay. So you've got an exit route. Right. Yeah. And we don't really, I mean, we've got windows, but they've got bars on them. So ah, right. the, the exit is the door. So, yeah. Um, I should say we are not earthquake expert, expert. <laughs> just experience one, Ben, more than yes. me. So. <laughs> this is not advice and, and we are not That's liable nice. for your actions in a disaster. Um, <clears throat> funnily enough, I don't have an earthquake kit, which is kind of silly having been through one of these already. Um, you know, we've got some food at home, we've got some water at home, but yeah. that's it. I have, I'm have. i not super organized. I haven't got all my important stuff in a backpack. Um, probably should do that at some point. It's kind of, yeah, it's kind of like last time, weirdly, was okay. So we're kind of blase about it now. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, like we were able to stay at home, even though the home was damaged and eventually got demolished. Um, oh, it was fine for a few nights. Um, yeah. yeah. Actually, my big advice, actually, because I wasn't aware this was an option, mm-hmm. is to leave the area if you can. You know, you see all these, you know, you, you see people in, in earthquake shelters. And my question is, why don't they just leave? Like go somewhere um, normal, you know. Um, maybe you don't have the money. Maybe you want to stay near your family, stuff like that. But if you can, mm-hmm. leaving it improves your quality of life immensely, uh, and also takes um, some of the strain off local resources as well. Uh, so my advice: if if there's a really bad disaster in your area and you're able to leave, go somewhere else, find a cheap hotel or something, uh, and just stay there until things, you know, recover slightly. Yeah. And you're seeing that now in Noto, actually. They're going, they're doing the kind of um, daini, um, what's it called, evacuation, basically. So the people who are in evacuation shelters are now being moved elsewhere to like mm-hmm. more comfortable accommodation in in you know neighboring prefectures or or whatever. Right. Yeah. But it's taken three weeks or so. It, yes, they've been there for three weeks. You know. So if you mm-hmm. have the option, you can leave the next day. Um, that's, that would be my advice. That's exactly that's what I'm going to do. Even have to cycle, you know, <laughs> if I have to get on a bike and, and ride for a couple of days just to, I will do that because, yeah, I don't see the point in being here miserable unless there's a really good reason for it. Yeah, yeah. Um, good question. Yeah, radio, what about radio? Um, did you, without power, did you find you used a um, cars? You can, have, you can use the radio in the car. Yeah, did you find um, that? I'll have a battery. There is an emergency broadcast. 
Um, but the emergency broadcast was like, yeah, didn't didn't say anything about the tsunami. <laughs> oh. Most of it was like, yeah, the nuclear power plant is completely fine. <laughs> Oh, yeah, we, we 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 had real trouble getting my parent, my wife's parents, to come with us because they were like, "No, the radio, the government says everything's fine." And I'm like, "No, <laughs> I, I'm getting phone calls from Europe somehow that telling me that you know it looks bad, so we're leaving, uh, and we'd like you to come with us." <laughs> yeah, the communication was terrible. That uh, was really, really right, terrible. but anyway, it worked out okay. Um, but yeah, definitely leaving is is good. I think. Yeah. Right, um, that covers our uh, news and other topic stuff. Um, now, I hope you don't mind, but I've kind of informally started a new section called Daniel's Money Tip. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I keep getting these things. Oh, that's a good one. I should mention that. And so I, I got some uh, some. Okay, up. so this is going to be um, a regular feature going forward. Until I run out, yeah. <laughs> um, so my, my money tip this time, it's January. Now's a good time to buy your Christmas decorations. Uh, that was my first tip. Although then I actually tried to follow. Where are you going to do this, Daniel? Well, this is it. I go on to Merukadi. <laughs> Which shops have that. Christmas decorations now? I, yeah, I didn't find many. Um, but I go to Merukadi and think, okay, people will be selling their Christmas decorations right now. And I go on there and I found about two that were just like broken lights and something like that. So I started off with this tip and it was a really good tip. But when I tried to put it in practice, it wasn't so good. However, now is a good time to look for things that you might not buy at this time of year. For example, hotel bookings and flight bookings. Mm. And so I did manage to get a hotel um, <clears throat> with their early like start of year special or something until the 17th of January in this particular case, but I'm sure all different hotels are doing the same thing. Um, and so, yeah, get a hotel this time of year early for later in the year, and you could be saving quite a bit of money. We, we managed mm. to. So maybe not Christmas decorations after all, well, think, but it doesn't have to look. Decorations. If you try and buy them on like the twenty fourth, yeah, that's when oh. you're going to get cheap Christmas decorations. Twenty fourth, twenty fifth, maybe, but they take them down so quick, right? So, yeah, yeah. You know, it's already Valentine's now. It's Valentine's chocolates yeah. everywhere. So. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Actually, yeah, I did see Christmas <clears throat> chocolates for sale, and that was Christmas Eve, I think, at a local supermarket, half price or something. Yeah. Brilliant. Like the best um, time to get those um, ehomaki, right? So February third is the ehomaki. You know, you eat the big rolls of whatever. What? Sorry. What? What's that? So you know the 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 oni thing where you throw peanuts at the Mamimaki. devils. And, yeah. yeah, yeah. You also eat the ehomaki, right? These big rolls. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, you, there's a different direction you have to face each year, uh, and you face in that direction. You eat the roll in silence, and you get like a wish. Um, but basically, um, all the combinis, all the supermarkets, all the restaurants are selling these things. Uh, but obviously, by that evening, no one's buying them anymore. So they're on like, you oh. know, a third of the price, half price. So that's when you buy your ehomaki on the, on the night of the February 3rd, basically. Oh, okay. If you want to save money. I didn't know this thing, but that's a good one. Um, yeah, and, and, and on, on YouTube, uh, Evgenia has uh, suggested that winter clothes are also going to be going on sale soon. Yeah, I've seen oh, that with them. Um, nice. uh, it was hard off, actually. Our locals, you know, recycle secondhand place. Uh, yeah, they got 20% off all heating appliances because it's supposedly going to be coming to the end of the cold season soon. So, yeah, there's a good time to look for things, for, look for bargains that you don't need right now, but you will do later in the year. 
that's like, this, this applies to everything so yeah, buying yeah. stuff when everyone else isn't buying it you're going to get it cheaper it's going to be easier going places when other people aren't going there like i love going mm. shopping on weekday evenings because no one's there mm. you go to mm. like a, a mall or something it's empty weekday evenings yeah. you go on sunday afternoon and you can't move right so <laughs> yeah. yeah all that kind of like time arbitrage mm. yes yeah Tohoku, I've never heard of that. Really? Is it maybe? Is, no. It's not a Tohoku thing, is it? It must. I don't it think is, so. It's a I mean, Japan, we do the, you right? know, the throwing beans at the. Oh, hang on, I'm getting funny yeah. looks here. Um, have you heard of Tohoku? Yeah. Okay. She's she's giving me that. Of course, I have. Look. So I think it's probably just me that's like completely. Yes. It's not just Tohoku. Okay. Sorry, uh, for everybody. <laughs> Anyway, buy your ehomaki on the Feb evening of February the 3rd. That's Daniel's money tip from Ben. <laughs> there we go. Good. I need to get a little chime. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, right. Yeah, we need, we need more sound effects, don't we? We need a yeah, theme tune, and we need oh. little bells or castanets or something. Mm, yeah. Uh, right. Next, then, we're going to talk about... So we do have some more questions in the chat. Thank you very much. But we're going to do a full QA session uh, at the end. Hmm. Um, so retired Japan courses this is your bit yes so uh, super exciting we finished our first video course I've been wanting to do a video course for years now so I've been planning this course for years finally got it done end of last year uh, it's now available it's called the basics of personal finance in Japan and it's basically personal finance except investing so there's a little bit about investing, but not very much. And it's all about, you know, attitudes towards money, saving, emergency funds, insurance, medical stuff, taxes, all that kind of stuff. In Japan, it's a video course, so you can access it whenever you want. It's basically, I think it's 74 short videos. Probably take a couple of hours to watch the whole thing. Uh, there's a few exercises in there as well. But if you want to kind of start on personal finance, I think it's a good way to do so. So please check it out. There'll be a link somewhere. Uh, <clears throat> yeah and then our main kind of flagship course is starting in february so that's called your first 10 million yen uh, and that is basically everything you need all the knowledge and, and encouragement and support and that push to get started in with with uh, investing uh, and basically it should allow you to get to 10 million yen at some point and once you get to 10 million yen then it's easy to get to 20 and 30 and, and so on so, if you're interested, there's a link somewhere in the description. I have the link to the maven.com one, but I think it's changed now, isn't it? Or is it still maven.com? Oh, yeah. So it's a different one now. Let's see if I can pull okay. that up. Yes. That's a very good catch. <laughs> yeah, maven absolutely screwed us over. <laughs> I'm so... Um, it's, I'm gobsmacked at how badly they handled that for us. Uh, and <laughs> Not a good day for you, was it? It wasn't. And then they finally got back to me and said, oh, yeah, it was our fault. We fixed it now. Um, do you want to try again? Like, no apology, nothing. <laughs> Basically, the, 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 the short story is um, we launched our course and they had some bug in their system so that um, they were charging 100 times the price to the people that are trying to buy the course. So thankfully... Because of Japanese yen. I think they added two zeros because zero. they thought it was dollars, uh, but it was in yen. So that somehow ended up with two extra zeros on the yen price. 
<laughs> so thankfully no one's credit cards were going through with that kind of price so, but yeah it would have been even more of a nightmare if we'd actually charged someone that much money like mm. yeah not fun so yeah i'm not going to be using them again <laughs> Uh, so yeah, we'll find the link for that and then put that in the, the show notes. Yes. Unless, uh, unless you have it right now. Let's see. I think I have it. So. Uh, oh, okay. Yep. There we go. So that's in there. Hey, is that it for the uh, um, your course updates? In. Yep. Yep. Right. Short and sweet. So there's a video course and there's a, a live kind of cohort course. Yeah, live course. Okay. Um, uh, so next, we're going to move on to the forum, Retire Japan Forum, retirejapan.com slash forum. Yeah, so the forum's very active again. Um, recent posts, we've had uh, one on how the tax on Ideco works, which is kind of interesting. It's a little bit complicated, unfortunately. Uh, lots of stuff about the new NISA account, of course. Everyone's uh, getting excited and starting to use NISA and running into problems with NISA and you know not understanding NISA. So, lots of activity on NISA. There's one about naturalizing in Japan, which I'm very interested in because I'm planning to do that at some point. Uh, there was one post from someone who's in the EU at the moment and they're planning to move to Japan and they want advice on what they can do to get ready for that. So that's an interesting thread. So if you've got something to add to that thread, that would be really cool if you could drop in and uh, give some advice there. Uh, thread about getting a UK passport for a child in Japan, child born in Japan. So the fir for the, that first kind of registration, uh, going through the embassy and, and doing lots of um, illogical paperwork, <laughs> <laughs> which the UK seems to be very good at. You know, people talk about Japan and paperwork and bureaucracy, but yeah, it's way better than the UK in my experience because at least you can get answers from humans here. <laughs> but the UK <laughs> government website is really good, I find. It's getting Very better, isn't simple, it? simple, isn't it? Yeah. Like apparently, a bit of a tangent here, but apparently you're going to be able to pay your UK voluntary pension contributions online. Soon. Really? So, yeah, there's a little thing saying online payments are coming soon. So I'm like, oh, come on. That would make so much difference. Wow. Which you can also do in Japan. You can pay your Nenkin uh, online with a credit card if you want to. Oh, yeah. um, <clears throat> okay, last four. We've got one about uh, what age kids were when they first went to nursery, which is interesting because everyone seems incredibly young. It's like immediately, like three months or something. I was like, whoa. Uh -huh. uh, there's one about how to make a dividend stock portfolio, which is such a good question that I think I'm going to do a YouTube video about it. Oh, so basically like yeah. stock building a, a dividend stock portfolio versus an index fund portfolio. So the benefits and disadvantages of each. I thought that was a great question. Uh, there's one about how to read kanji online using apps or browser plugins, um, which was interesting. Oh. And there's one about overseas institutions asking for my number. Well, not my number, but maybe your my number. Um, uh, and why that's necessary and, and where that comes from. So, right. yeah. yeah, lots of stuff on the forum. Go check it out. You don't have to register if you just want to read stuff. You can just read it as a guest. But if you want to post, you will have to register for the forum. Very cool. Very good. 
Uh, right, and so now we head on into the Q and A time. Thank you for Yay. waiting patiently. Uh, so we have a few, and we're going to go back to an earlier one from uh, Yevgenia uh, on YouTube, and they say, "How would you suggest to diversify a beginner portfolio if I currently spend about twenty-five percent of my income?" Nisa is completed already. <clears throat> uh, when they say spend about twenty-five, I think they mean like spend in an investment account or invest. No, I think I think this is actually yeah saving seventy five percent. Oh, really? Oh, it's incredibly you. impressive. Oh, they're going so, for fire, aren't they? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Mm -hmm. So Nisa obviously is the first place to go. Uh, Ideco as well. Um, after mm -hmm. that, it's basically invest in a taxable account. You can just keep buying the same stuff. Uh, you might want to look at real estate if you're interested in real estate. Um, we've got that interview with Ziv. So one of our season one um, episodes is a. Uh, oh, we haven't talked to Ziv yet, have we? No, Ziv made a video for us uh, a while oh. back talking about real estate in Japan, um, and we want to get him on for Retired Japan TV at some point. But yeah, looking at that video and, and thinking, you know, is this something that you might be interested in? That might be a good way to diversify. Um, but otherwise, yeah, you can just keep buying the same stuff in a taxable account. That's basically what I've done. Um, any thoughts, Daniel? Diversification. Um, Obviously, you can buy gold. You can buy Bitcoin. <laughs> yeah, I have some, too much. Uh, some cryptocurrency. Um, but mostly, if, yeah, if I don't um, uh, have enough space in Nisa, I'll just buy things directly in a taxable account because I still think that's good. Uh, I go for dividends personally. And what I like about that is that it's a flat 21%-ish. Um, so no matter what your sort of... In income is you're always going to pay 21% ish tax on dividends that come in as, as income and capital gains if you sell any and to me that seems like a really like easy thing to, to to do of course the value of those could go up and down and I do keep thinking about property but I just can't do it there's the added complication there's <clears throat> the sort of the risk of you know will the uh, will it be occupied or not do I need to do renovations and maintenance and the value value of property in Japan doesn't really tend to go up over time. So all these things turn me off. But I know a lot of people love it and do very well by it. And so, yeah, we mentioned Ziv. He recommends it for the right type of person. I think it's very good, but that's just not for me. I think there's 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 real estate people and there's not real estate people. Mm -hmm. And it's important to know which one you are. Like some people love it. They love the detail. They love, you know, all the stuff that you have to do around real estate. And some people don't. <laughs> So I think both of us are in the uh, we're not real estate people camp, maybe. Yeah. But um, yeah, they, they do mention diversification. So yeah, I, I don't, I'm worried that I don't want to have all of my stuff in, for example, Japanese dividend stocks. And so recently I've been trying to diversify. I actually bought an India fund this week. Um, not investment advice. It could go either way, but it's kind of one of those things, you know, put some in there. If it goes down, at least I can take comfort that it's been some kind of diversification. And yeah, a bit of gold. I'm thinking about copper just because they should be uncorrelated with stocks. REITs as well. So if you want to buy oh, real estate yeah. without owning it directly, you can buy a REIT, which is a That's real correct. estate investment trust. That basically is like an index fund for real estate. So there's different ones. You know, you can buy hotels, you can buy hospitals, you can buy residential, you can buy everything. Like there's all sorts of REIT funds available in Japan. So that might be an easy way to own real estate. 
The only problem with a REIT, though, is compared to a REIT to actually owning a building, is you don't get the tax benefits. So lots of people buy real estate in order to offset their taxes. So if that's something that you might be interested in, that might be something worth exploring. Um, on that link for Steve's um, video where he talks about investing in real estate in Japan. This is something he did for us a couple of years ago, which is, uh, which is good. I should say that these uh, are not recommendations. I don't recommend you go and get India Fund or Copper or something. It's just suggestions <laughs> of what we do, which you know are up for consideration. Uh, yeah. Right. Excellent. I'm move on to the next question then. Uh, Bo Albright on Facebook. Hello, Bo. Uh, I know this is very American-centered. That's okay. But it almost feels like there is no such option for Americans living in Japan to open a retirement investment account without getting double taxed. Oh, the double tax question again. It feels like Japan wants to tax you on American accounts and America wants to tax you on Japanese accounts. Are there any solid options anyone in this live chat has heard of for Americans living in Japan? At this point, I've somewhat given up. I'm just trying to invest in a very much taxable account. account I think that's yeah. So, um, yeah. So, of course, um, America does not recognize Japanese tax exempt accounts and Japan does not recognize American tax exempt accounts. Uh, this is all a problem because of US tax law. That's the only issue here. Um, but I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. So, yeah, you don't have any um, tax advantage options. The best thing is just to invest in a US taxable account. I think that's what a lot of people do. Um, it's the easiest option because then the paperwork's easier with the IRS and, and with Japanese authorities. So that's probably um, the best option. A U.S. taxable account. Uh, or um, Interactive Brokers Japan, which is licensed because it's a U.S. company. It's licensed with the U.S. Uh, and American citizens can use it. Oh, right. Okay. Um, but also follows up with another comment saying, thank you so much for doing this show. It started motivating me to be more financially responsible than I was before. Um, and so I want to say this, if don't don't spend too much time worrying about what the perfect thing to do is. If we provide motivation just to do something, whatever it is, then I think it's worth it. It won't be perfect, but something is better than nothing. So please, whatever you do, just take some action. Yeah, open an account and start buying um, some cheap ETFs, you know, US ETFs, Vanguard ETFs or something. Um, and that will be a great start uh okay next question from linkedin this one uh kurt hello kurt i'm retiring this year to japan oh welcome it's an exciting and a bit scary adventure you're gonna love it uh i look forward to learning from your experiences oh okay so not really a question but just uh yeah yeah fantastic so good luck with the move um yeah come to the forum ask questions Yes, the, the retired Japan form is not just financial questions, is it, Ben? I think it's for no. We've got a general section. We've got kids section. There's, there's. It's basically personal finance, investing, retirement, and life in Japan. So, yeah, excellent. Uh, Jack again. Hello, Jack. Uh, he says, "What do you guys think about investing in premium bonds?" Does he mean the UK premium bonds? Yes, I think so. Um, I think it's a gimmick. Uh, it's kind of pointless. Though. So the rate of return is. How much? 2%, 3%? Um, you're probably better off investing in the stock market. I know some people that do it because they like the idea of, you know, having the chance of a large payout. But, you know, mathematically, there's a return on premium bonds uh, and it's X percent. And that's what you're going to get, basically. You know, you get your £50 prize every so often. But 
yeah, yeah I, I, I had some before i've sold them all it's not I, yeah i don't find it particularly interesting um again if this is a satellite holding so if you want to get premium bonds you know put a little bit of money in there just because there's a chance that's fine just don't put everything in there for people who aren't aware of this, uh, in U the UK, there is a thing called premium bonds. I think it used to be organized by the government or the post office or something like still that. Is. So still official, is. Official channel, yeah. So it's not like a scam or anything. Um, and it's kind of like the lottery, but they pay you a small bit of interest each year. So you buy your lottery. Oh, you don't get interest. Year. So there's a prize pool. Oh, you know. There's no interest oh. on that's the, that's the problem is that, you know, so you, you don't get interest, oh. but each bond you own, is entered into a prize draw and the prize draw has you know like a some large prizes like million pound prizes all the way down to 50 pound prizes That's and it. so statistically but you'll get a couple of 50 pound prizes every so often which equates to about a, i think the prize fund is worth x percent a year something like two percent a year or something um, so uh, that's that's right so as, unlike a regular lottery you basically own that lottery ticket forever and it's re-entered into every draw. And so eventually you're pretty likely to win something, but it'll be worth not very much compared to what you eventually... Okay, so it's, it's actually 4.6% at the moment, apparently. Okay, that's an average. Um, so it's not an interest rate. It's like an average of... Roughly that's what, what the prize fund is. Right. So that 4.6% that generates the prize fund. And then... Mm -hmm. So, you know, unless you win the million one, you're not going to get anywhere near that kind of return. Right. So compared to a current account, you know, compared to a savings account, which in the UK currently pay like five, five and a half percent, I think mm. um, it's not great. Yeah. Plus, I don't know how Japan's going to tax that. Even yeah. if you do win, right? <laughs> I think yes. they're tax free in the UK, but certainly not in Japan. So no. Yeah, well, I got rid of all my British stuff because I discovered that Japan taxes your worldwide income, which is just a big hassle. So. Um, Ganea yeah, is back with another question. Very keen. Uh, would you suggest to buy Apple stocks or Amazon stocks or something like that? Um, well, if you own a world or US stock fund, you already own these. So to buy more of them is, is, a, is concentrating your investment. It's saying you think these stocks are going to outperform, so you need more of them. Um, and I don't make that kind of value judgment. So I just buy the entire market. So I get the market return. Um, you, I think you could make the case either way. So you could make the case, yes, these these magnificent seven companies, they're going to continue to outperform because they've cornered AI and all that. Or you could say, okay, so they're doing great now, but you know they'll probably come down again in the future. So yeah. You own them already if you have a world stock fund. So it's whether you want to buy more of them or not. And we don't really uh, do valuations. We don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nobody knows. Yeah. <laughs> um, going back to Japanese REITs, uh, the Real Estate Investment Trust, do they pay out dividends um, as they do in the US? Yes, yes. So mm -hmm. REITs generally um, are forced to. They, they have to pay out. Um, their profits in the form of dividends. It's part of the structure. So, yes. So my wife has a, a Japanese REIT, and, and I think it pays out every two months. So you get a dividend every two months. Do you know what the dividend is in percentage terms, roughly annual dividend? I'm not sure. It depends on the fund. I'm guessing. So I thought they were generally quite high. Relatively, yeah. So you, yeah. you're not going to get as much capital gain generally. 
right. but you, the, the dividend might be slightly higher than you'd get from a, a company, say. Yeah. Because the REIT is paying out all its income, whereas the company is only paying out oh. some of it and it's going to be reinvesting some of it as well. Right. And you're getting a bit of diversification as well. Um, and we have one more question here from Kai. Uh, I have a question about the new NISA. Do I have to set up monthly automatic payment for the Tumitate portion or can I do a lump sum of 1.2 million yen? <clears throat> so the way it was intended to be used is you have to do a monthly payment. So you do actually have to do a monthly payment. So that's up to 100,000 yen a month, 12 monthly payments. Now you can game the system. You can set a, a monthly payment of 100 yen and then do a lump sum for the remainder. But it's a bit of a hassle. So it depends. Do, do you want to jump through that hoop enough to, to make a lump sum payment? Or do you just, you know, is it dollar cost averaging going to be enough? So, so yeah, you can do a lump sum payment of 1.2 million minus 1,200 if you really, really want to. Okay. That's that using bonus feature of the Tumitate oh, system. Oh, okay. Right. Yeah, so you need, you need 12 monthly payments, but they can be as low as 100 yen. So you can make 12 payments of 100 yen and then lump sum the rest if you want to. Okay. Um, I should clarify, that is for the Tsumitate part of the NISA. With a regular part of the NISA, there is no sort of requirement to pay money in monthly. Yep, so you can do lump sum with growth the secho part secho cool uh we've gone through all our questions so thank you ever so much everybody who, who commented and um raised the question this has been our most active one i think so it's far, been excellent it? yeah yeah very good i've learned a lot wonderful <laughs> thanks for joining us everyone it's been it's been great really enjoyed talking to martin really enjoyed having the chat just now um next one is going to be next month I think the 19th uh, mystery guest will announce it soon. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, thanks very much, everyone. Enjoy the rest of the evening. Cool. Uh, so just um, Sunday, I think, um, asked a quick question about Kakute Shinkoku, the, uh, the tax um, forms we have to submit as a freelancer. Any resources that they know to understand everything? I would guess Retired Japan com slash forum is the best place to ask that yeah tax office has some stuff in english um, has very lots helpful, of stuff in japanese um if you're okay with japanese go on youtube um search online there's loads of resources for this stuff um some of the accounting software um you know like free free ee -E, uh f-r-e-e -E, i think it is um <laughs> they've got resources so yeah look online is, is where i'd go for that okay Cool. Thank you. See you next month. Hey.